Yeah, you know how it is, man. Most of being a graphic designer is just saving clients from themselves, you know, trying to talk them out of bad ideas because they just want to keep adding stuff to it, you know? Hey, yeah. Thanks for listening. This is the final week for the Clarion West Write-A-Thon, an annual fundraiser for this really amazing writing organization that supports underserved voices in speculative fiction. And I'm really happy to be a part of what they do every year. Go check out the links in the show descriptions. You can go to my website, jalexmorrissey.com or any of my social medias at jalexmorrissey. If you are so inclined as to support the organization in my name and wish to donate this week, that'd be fantastic. Um, if not, you can just hang out and uh, listen to the show. It has nothing to do with the other. But uh, I appreciate your listening and putting up with my uh, soft pitch week after week. Um, I hit my word count for the write-a-thon today. So 60,000 words for my new book, Ghost Wing. The timing couldn't have been better because a new client project rolled in and looks like we'll be swinging into gear tomorrow. So my word count may drastically drop uh, as the days go on, which is fine, but I would like to have sailed to the end and maybe have come much closer to 70,000 words, but you do what you can do. Um, this week's guest is Jay Gonzo. I met Gonzo at Heroes Con. And like a lot of artists who have strong graphic design backgrounds, I'm drawn like a moth to the flame. It wasn't much of a shock after a couple of minutes talking and like how much of a designer he is in his work, which really speaks to me. So I vibed with him quickly and um, and I had a great time talking with him. He's got a ton of great stories. He's really, really been in the business some interesting times and places and his comic, La Mano del Destino, is just so cool. The artwork is great. And he is doing the uh, the sequel. So that series will be coming out soonish. Definitely uh, something I am looking forward to. So yeah, kick back and enjoy my talk with Jay Gonzo. If the stop sign was designed by the committee that wanted to make sure it had all the doodads, there would be so many head-on collisions, it would be ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I always, you know, um, I let people know that, uh, and I also explain that the, the, um, the intent of every different thing, you know, like, like uh, the logo is to be memorable, the stop, you know, the uh, business card is to, you know, be informational, the, you know, like it's all that there's an engagement tree that leads to someone reading a paragraph about your, your, you know, the history of your, your business online, you know, like, and that's, that's still mm-hmm. two clicks away, you know, from, or at least a click away. Like, um, but, uh, if I got forgot where I was going with that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I the, but the, the shorthand that I always tell clients is like, not everything needs to do everything. Like yeah. th- this is right. very specialized. You, you need, you need some, you know, some things do, do very, you know, just make the client feel like most of it is feeling too. It's like, you just want them to feel good about doing business with you. You want yeah. your, your business to look like a thing. So let's make it look like mm-hmm. a thing. Um, you want to look established. You want to look like you've been around. You want to look like you know what the fuck you're doing. You want to look considered because that you know, like like you you know what you're doing. 
and a lot of that is like researching the like market in which you you know the uh, business category that you're working in, uh, you know what other people are doing because you don't want to be so far afield and so innovative in your field that like you don't even look like a field anymore. You know, like if, if your bank right. looks like a, a a hip surf shop, like no one wants to put their fucking money in that. Like yeah, it's a great logo and yeah, you know it's like super like you know engaging what have you, but like. I want some kind of stodgy stayed serif font with my fucking banks because that's where my money goes, man. You know, like, so, mm -hmm. you know, trying to save them from themselves because, you know, everybody wants to be Apple. Everybody wants to be Nike. And, um, you know, what, what those companies do well, rather than emulating the style of success with like Apple or Nike, where you're like, oh, we're going to do like super clean, you know, Swiss design like Apple does. It's like, well, they're they're just true to their ethos because their, their system, their operating system is also clean and engaged, you know, like. So um, what you want, what what you really want to do is support the ethos and the brand promise of your brand in everything, because that's what Apple is doing. Not, you know, uh, Helvetica and white space and stuff like th those are the style of success, not the substance of su success. Because, you know, it, what you could end up doing is advertising for Apple. You know what I mean? Like if you if you totally. look so much like Apple, now you're just doing Apple advertising and not advertising for yourself. I mean, Lee Jeans did that in the in the '90s. They they put out these like really edgy like kind of like gritty ads. And Levi sales went up because everybody yeah, thought they right. were so fucking cool that they had to be Levi ads. So because um, right. yeah, we don't remember, like yeah. we don't remember what what you know what an ad was. You hear people say like, "Oh, I saw this really cool ad," and you're like, "Oh, what was it for?" And they go, "I don't remember." Yeah, like yeah. I think it was for like, and they, so they may they may get the category. Like yeah, they yeah. may get a category. If you're lucky, they get a category. If you if you're a home run, they remember the brand or the product, but. Well, the one thing that that I uh, that is that that I've taken from advertising that lives in comic books that I that I did, um, or that one thing I gleaned from advertising that I absolutely use in comic books is like nobody gives a shit about what you show them, and nobody gives a shit about what you tell them, right? So in a comic, nobody gives a shit about what the art is, nobody gives a shit about what's written in the comic book. What they give mm -hmm. a shit is about how they feel about what you've written and shown them. So everything should support the emotional truth of the moment. Because that's how people engage with things and remember things. So the more mm. emotional work you can make the viewer do, you know, the more you can hint at things and they fill in with their own experience, the better remembered it's going to be. And so um, with comics, like I try to think about what the emotional truth of like the panel, the page and the two page spread is going to be in the entirety of the arc, right? What is the journey? Where are we going? Are we going from, you know, angry to mad or you know, angry to sad or, or, you know, happy to, to you know, morose whatever it is like you know how do you underscore the emotional truth of these moments both in like the size of the panel its relation to the other panels the staging within the panel the people within the you know their expressions all of that you know and when, once you get down to actually putting dialogue in there um you know it, it, you don't have to do too much work with like telling them things because mm -hmm. you've already like well the panel is from a high angle so that you're already looking down on the char character so you kind of get like a he's feeling down thing and like look he's hunched over and man my color palette's all blue you know like all of that shit so like I don't have to put a a description panel in there like oh you know oh Cyclops feels sad you know, oh Cyclops feeling sad than he's ever been like no he just looks sad he it feels sad sure. you can fucking move on and I don't have to like Chris Claremont and tell you and show you what is going on so um, yeah yeah that was the one thing that I kind of pulled from advertising is like find the emotional truth of what like the the one thing you want people to feel that's the that's what everyone wants you to feel everything like that's where the clients really fuck you up is they want you to. Well, we want them to feel happy and, you know, excited and, you know, a little bit scared and a little bit angry. I'm like, fucking. Right. What's your prior, what's the priority here? And they go, yeah. okay, well, here they are. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, yeah. here, what is the priority? Um, yeah, you get one, yeah. may, maybe a secondary, like, under, under, yeah, but, 
Two's pushing maybe. it, man. Yeah, like you want to think about uh, emotional truth like fonts. You know, you want one, right. maybe two. Yeah, three's pushing it, but you get four and you'll get a fucking ransom note. So you can right. do that to people. Yeah. It's so it's so true. And they um and I you know it's it's funny when you were talking about that space for you know people to kind of get it and I'm thinking about like how you know how actual production time dictate like sort of dictated frequency but somehow that frequency is the human frequency. So like a comic book that comes out once a month, you can digest this and you can build up your your sort of your internal sort of like replay of this thing and rereads or whatever it is until the next issue comes out in the same thing in you know, next month. And it happens like with television, you know, a show came out a week later, the next episode came out and you had this time to sort of, you know, okay, I can, I can, re- you know, register this, talk to my buddies about this, whatever the thing was. And then the frequency up to up, you know, Hey, can we, ba- can we binge this stuff? Can we, you have a book come out every other week. And I think what happens is it's like you were talking, like talking with advertising. If you put too much of your brand out there, people are going to shut down. Oh, yeah, They're going to yeah. close off to this thing because they, they feel they are being assaulted in some fashion. And I think we don't absorb the television show or the comic book as well when we sit and we burn through. Oh, I, like I try to like, you know, I just finished book two of The Human Target run with Tom King and and Greg Smallwood. I'm like, I'm going to read one issue a day at the most, because otherwise I'm just going to go, wait, what was, what was this connected to? Like, I, it doesn't give me time to think about it. Oh, absolutely. Like there's no time to enjoy, ingest the emotional truth of any of the moments, right? Like Mm -hmm. is episodes or episodic storytelling there is an underlying like this is what this episode, or at least good at good at you know uh, entertainment or or you know uh, narrative should have like uh, when it's broken into chapters should have some kind of like emotional core to each of the chapters, and if you're jumping between them, you know doing multiple chapters at a time. I mean, I, I've been watch, binge watched shows like I was watching season three of The Witcher with my wife. And I kept having mm-hmm. to stop and be like, what the fuck? Like, why, where did they come from again? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. That was like, because <laughs> like, I just like, it becomes a wash of like, you know, cause we, we did binge like uh-huh. the first two, or I think we just binged the mm-hmm. second one, but it was just like, so now we're in the habit where we're like, we just watch one a night. Like, you know, there's a, we're like way behind on the gemstones, but even something as dumb as the righteous gemstones is like, I just need to do like one a week and kind of give it a mm-hmm. time for me to like, remember and enjoy and figure out what, you know, like kind of, cause if you watch, you know, six hours of it in a day it, it it's all it's too it's gone too far you, you know you you, know, yeah. you missed the you know too much of the journey because you didn't have time to stop at a rest stop and kind of like look back and go oh there, that's what i did and there's where it came from um i absolutely agree but i mean if, if stuff is crafted to be six hours long then you know watch it in six hours but i think that uh, mm-hmm. you know in, in that in, in one of those rare instances where like kind of artist intent is you know like you know is key like i've got a um I've got a book of the old Spider-Man news strips, you know, cause that's what I like, got me into comics was like reading Spider-Man in the, in the LA times. And uh, those are not meant to be read in huge chunks. Like you, if you read like, no. it's all, it's insanity, man. If you read like a whole, like if you read five or six pages in a row, like I can't, this is ridiculous. Cause you know, a lot of it is like resetting and kind of recapping yeah. and it just gets infuriating. And so it was meant to be taken, you know, like day by day or, or, you know, week mm-hmm. by week. And, and uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I think this kind of, you know, trade waiting world that we live in is, is not helping the way that things are ingested. But I also think that like putting out periodicals may not be the best 
for the industry either. Like, you know, um, especially when people, if you're writing for the, the trade, then just write the trade, put out a trade paperback, uh, put a spot right. on it or a graphic novel or whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my big joke is uh, the difference between a, a, a comic book and a graphic novel is uh, you have to read a, a graphic novel with your pinkies out. Like, <laughs> it's such a <laughs> bullshit made up term that makes people feel less bad about comic book as, as source material, you know? But right, right, yeah, whenever sure. I see, um, you know, uh, you know, Watchmen based on the the movie, you know, based on the award winning graphic novel, I'm like, nope, absolutely not. That was a fucking comic book. Came out in it was. Yeah, yeah. That that was a that's a comic book ass comic book. Tell me, it is a comic book nope. about comic books, and they want to call it this fucking hoity toity word that has you know elbow patches on its blazer. Like, I I, I hate the respectability <laughs> politics of that word. I think we've we've really strayed far from our point, but. Well, yeah, I mean, but I think, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the, um, you know, it's a plain brown wrapper, you know, sophistication that they're trying like, so you're not embarrassed that you bought, you know, a porno mag and you're, you know, you're yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's, it's just that sort of old school mentality. Yeah. But that's very American. I, yeah. Like, I think, I yeah. think Walt Disney fucked that up for everybody. Can we, we can swear on your show, right? Yeah. Cause I've just been dropping. Fuck yeah. Okay. There we go. Um, Walt Disney fucked that up for everybody because he made his bones in children's entertainment. So now in America, anything illustrated or animated is for kids. And so anytime any mm -hmm. conservative, you know, Yahoo sees something adult that happens to be illustrated or animated, like no one's going to tell me that Perfect Blue is a fucking kids movie. You know what I mean? Like that is nope. absolutely not, right? Um, nor should, you know, like, uh, it, you know, it does, you know, nor is Watchmen for children. But they saw that it was drawn and they had this weird Pavlovian response like, oh, it's illustrated. So it's for kids. When they get mm -hmm. bummed out, there's like murder and boobs in it. So, um, yeah, I, I just, uh, you know, we, you know, that ha that started in the the thirties, right? So we have, you know, we've got almost a hundred years of conditioning that American society, you know, uh, has that, that anything illustrated or animated is for kids. And so if you're an adult with anything illustrated in your hand, you know, you have to apologize for it. And that, you know, some people have internalized those respectability politics. And so they, they decided to create a word like, you know, graphic novel to make them feel better about having a comic book, but I don't know, man, I, yeah. I, I, I enjoy comic books and I make comic books and I make comic book ass comic books. Like I love, right. I, I love, uh, I love the medium and I, I know that that's not a derogatory term or, you know, and, and, uh, and anyone who doesn't kind of fuck them, you know, <laughs> like, I don't care. Like I'm not going to cater to them by using the word graphic novel. No, I mean, and if you, I mean, if you're making a graphic novel, which is, you know, an uninterrupted, you know, piece of literature, then yeah. you make it, you yeah, know, yeah. if you're making comic books, you're making comic books. It's all cool. It's all visual storytelling. It yeah, doesn't yeah. like one is not better storytelling than the other in the execution factor. That's what determines what's better. Absolutely. Know? I mean, I, I find it just, there's a, there's an agenda when someone insists on the word graphic novel, you know, like I just, I, mm -hmm. I have found that like, it's like someone who says film instead of movie. You know what I mean? Like, there's like, yeah, okay, I got gotcha. you. You know, it's like, um, you know, people tell on themselves all the time, right? And some, and if someone, you know, uses the word cinema or film instead of movie, then I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking out. Like, you know, you're just, you're smelling your own farts at this point, you know? So anyway, I mean, I guess that's for some people. And it's not to say that I can't engage on the, like, the thematic undertones of, of some, you know, of some piece of work, or I can't look at like, you know, quote unquote, high art. But like, I think that, engagement is its own validity right like if people like mm -hmm. i if people enjoy it it's it's a valid form of entertainment and, and to call one you know trash art it, it like to call the exact same thing like when it's a comic book it's trash art and when it's a graphic novel it's art art like high art like 
that to me is disingenuous, you know? So, um, you know, I, I, uh, I went to the Orange County High School of the Arts for visual art when I was in high school. And um, it was looked at as, as trash art. Like me wanting to do comics was mm-hmm. kind of, was, was poo-pooed, you know? It was like, kind of, if you can't make it as a real artist, maybe, maybe that's something you can fall into. And I'm like, no, that's where I want to be. That's the thing I want to get into. And, and, um, right. and, and uh, you know, like, how like i'm sure that same high school has a fucking comics art program now you know what i mean but but sure uh, but you know i i came up in the tail end of the lack of respectability and and uh you know and, and as a contrarian that kind of appealed to me too you know getting into it but um yeah i i, I but i you know even now you've got you know you know speaking of fanographics there there's a people who have bifurcated you know bifurcated comics into uh you know art comics and in you know mm-hmm. bullshit comics i mean they they do a pretty good job at pointing out bullshit. Like, and look, man, there's, there is a lot of bullshit out there, but you know, fucking whatever this like great darkness saga that DC put out could pull some fucking 10 year old kid in who just sees Superman fighting demons or monsters, whatever the fuck it is, whatever bullshit crossover they have. And then he's going to discover the Hernandez brothers someday. You know what I mean? Like no, right. No one fucking gets into music listening to Albon Berg, right? Like they're not like, Oh fuck. I want to listen to German atonal music. No, they listen <laughs> to pop songs on the fucking radio. There's aspects totally. of that that pull them into other avenues. And then eventually they've got a Sonic youth record, you know, like, fuck, like it's no, mm-hmm. no one you know, starts out on no wave, you know, they, they, they got to start with some bubblegum pop and, you know, work their way to, unless you have like super cool parents, in which case you'll probably listen to Britney Spears just to piss them off. So, um, yeah, <laughs> so sorry. That, could, that could definitely backfire. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I was really worried about like what my kids were going to listen to music wise, you know, but, uh, but my daughter does have like a, a pretty extensive velvet underground collection. now. She, I mean, she's, a professional musician so i didn't uh but i didn't force it on her i wasn't like oh man you listen to like you know what warhol and the factory were doing in the 60s like i just she was like had some questions about the velvet underground i i gave her some answers and she went off on her own but um yeah but anyway yeah yeah so um that's neither here nor there no no but i mean but i think it's all about i mean it, you know it's about that journey i mean you were talking about you know discovering spider-man in the in the paper yeah you yeah. know so here's here's this like free relatively freely accessible you know medium yeah and there was a section that clearly was approachable versus dense blocks of body copy yeah yeah. so you go what's this yep i just love the art style of it like it stood out to me so much like i remember my grandparents bought me a set of marvel stamps right like they were just rubber stamps that you stamped on shit like uh oh, okay yeah i've since found them and and, and most of it is kirby uh which you know would, would ultimately you know um, lead to my love with kirby but much much later but like i just remember as a kid you know like i'm reading like you know maury sendek books and stuff like that and so everything had kind of like a you know i was a kid in the 70s and 80s so like there, there was a lot of that kind of like 70s like noodling on everything you know um mm-hmm. and and so just to see the clear intentional lines that work so well as stamps and i just remember like looking at the silver surfer one and being mm. like oh man that's just like black or white like there's no shading there's no like high rendering like it's just right. so great i mean like what i would you know as a kid i didn't couldn't articulate this but like it was just such a graphic de- depiction of form that also looked metallic that i was just enamored with it like like how how kirby could do that or, or you know what the stamp was doing like what i would just like yeah, it was just black or white i put ink on paper i'm like holy shit there's like this image um and then when I at my at that same grandparents' house, I remember uh, they you know they were in, in L.A. County. They were in Pico Rivera. Uh, I grew up in Orange County, so they had the L.A. Times, which carried the Spider-Man strip. I was in Orange County. The Register doesn't carry the Orange the Spider-Man strip. So um, I would just like at their house, and we're like looking through their newspaper, which was different than ours. And 
and it had the Spider-Man strip and it was like, oh shit, that's that style I like. That's that like, you know, what what essentially is the Marvel house style. You know, it's like black or mm-hmm. white, like feathering, you know, like all that stuff, like, or feathered lines or uh, feathered bleeds and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I just was like instantly, like I was already a fan of Spider-Man, I think from the cartoons. You know, just watching the mm-hmm. 60s cartoon when I was a kid. Uh, they had that old Ralph Bakshi piece of crap. It's like, I still want to own all of it. Like, I'm going to I'm gonna try to buy them on uh, DVD or, or uh, Blu-ray or something. But um, yeah, I just, you know, I was a fan of Spider-Man from that. And then uh, just seeing him rendered, just because I had the uh, the Power Records too. Like, I literally have it like right over there. The the um, the one that has the um, John Romita cover on it that like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and it has the, uh, I think um, Giordano did the interiors on that because, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, uh, continuity comics uh, neil adams he neil, put yeah. all he put all those deals together and so he just gave everyone that he liked jobs and so giordano had given him his first job so he's like oh i'll give him because like i guess apparently like i talked to to adams about this like shortly before I, before he died and he was like yeah th- that company had no idea what the what like comic artists made so like you know if guys at marvel were making like 50 bucks a page he's like he told peter pan in power records he's like oh yeah they, it's like a uh, 200 a page to do a comic I'm like okay here's your money and so he was getting he was getting his friends paid anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had had that, but then I saw it in in the black and white newspaper, and it just like was so graphic in such a interpretation of form, right? There's so much synthesis happening that isn't just you know it, it. There's no it's it's not that Hal Foster Prince Valiant stuff. It's like more naturalistic. Like there's you can see the artist's hand in it, you know that just the choices mm-hmm. that they had made, and I was so enamored with that that I just was like, that's what I want to do, you know. And there was another like five or 10 years before I actually saw, well, probably like about five or eight years before I actually saw a, a comic book, comic book. And I'm like, oh shit, they still make the, the books. Like they, it's not like, you know, cause I'd seen the star Wars one when I was like really young. And I had seen like, um, like some like bronze age stuff, like, you know, Conan comics here or there. Like they were always at those like, you know, burnout, like uh D and D kids, metalheads that I knew down the road, you know, uh, but mm-hmm. they all seem very old. Like they all, they all seem like they'd come from like a different time. Like they were relics, you know, but to see one, right. to see a GI Joe comic on the spinner rack, I was like, "Oh shit, comic books!" And that was it. I was just, I was just done as soon as I saw a comic book. Like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and you know, and, and like you know, thirty years later, it's it's what I'm doing. Did you, I mean like how like how involved were you with like the sort of the art aspect of it as a kid? Like, what were your like? Because I mean, I would sit for hours not only looking through the comics and talking about them with anybody who would listen to me um i would say i would copy 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 all the cool drawings like oh i love this i love that and i would yeah i uh i started like that came later like actually my drawing and my comics kind of came later like i remember trying to draw spider-man but i was more trying to draw the cartoon version of him like i wouldn't draw the webbing all the way Mm -hmm. onto his body because that's not the way he was in the cartoon he just had webbing on his head and hands you know right um and i would uh try to copy like a lot of coloring book kind of images because they were just like bigger and clearer to me and when Mm -hmm. i got like comic books i'm trying to remember it took a couple of years i think like so i I started buying comics in like 84 you know end of 84 85 so like i got the simonson thor run like it was it was just the thor that was happening i got um you know web of spider-man had come out and i think somewhere around like web of is when i really started like starting to try to draw comics i I remember trying to draw panels from the inside of of web of because the black costume seemed more accessible than the the blue and red one no no lines (laughs) yeah exactly so uh, but that's like you know now i know that's like so much harder like just to get all that form without being able to like do any kind of rendering or like you know build shape or any kind of like hatching or anything 
Um, and I definitely like had a group of friends who were really into it. I think by the time, so I was buying, you know, GI Joes and X-Men. So I come into X-Men like 194, 195. So like right before the trial of Magneto and the, the you know, okay. So uh, John Romita Jr. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. But, um, but then I get the 205 and like Barry Windsor Smith does that wounded wolf issue. And I just was like, oh, dude, that's great. So oh, good. It's, dude, it's the best single issue of comics ever done. Like I, I fully it, like in yeah. my head, it's like, if you ask me what, the, like there, not only is it the best single issue of comics ever done, it has the best single panel. Like that one single panel where Wolverine is just like, has his teeth gritting and there's like blood squirting out of his teeth. Like he's covered in <laughs> the blood. Spittle, there's snow everywhere. The yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that single panel, like it looks like fucking Hugh Jackman. I'm like, dude, yeah. that like that, that, you know, uh, that predicts all of the X-Men bullshit is like in that fucking, in that, in that issue. Um, all of the X-Men live action stuff that would happen. So yeah, I got real spoiled early on, you know, and then, and then the next issue was like Romita junior again. And it, like, it's Morlocks and they're in the tunnels. And, and like, I just had no love for the Morlocks back then. Like I wanted more fantastical shit. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, but like when I get to like two Oh five, it just kind of makes me think, well, I can never do that. You know what I mean? Like that, mm-hmm. that can't happen. But then like, you know, so I'm and I'm I'm a spinner rat kid for like the first couple of year, like year or so, and then I um I think I was missing like a back issue of Web of because that was like my because I it was a number one I could buy and I bought it off a of spinner rack and then uh like the Kamiko stuff was coming out concurrently too and I remember looking at like the Pander Brothers Grendel and um, mm-hmm. the Elementals and and uh, Justice Machine like I fucking love Justice Machine and then I think I was missing an issue of one of the things I was buying off of a, a spinner rack and some friend of mine you know at that point like i said like once once like web of came out like i remember i had a few friends we were all buying comics off the rack at that time like maybe like eight or nine of us and i made a journey to a comic book store to get like some like i think it was a web of back issue i want to say spy like like i have the word thwip tattooed on the inside of my finger and then like a spider web <laughs> so if i do that it's like the spider web. it's like spider-man really is kind of like my like he's my guy he's like well how i got into comics he's the best Dude, he's he's my absolute favorite. He's, he's comic superhero ever. I mean, like it's it's Batman yeah. perfected. Like it's the tragedy, but it also has like kind of like teenage Superman. Like it's just it's all like it's it's everything comics are good at. Like all wrapped yep. into one. Um, you know, he's got like real world problems, all that shit. So yeah, so again, Spider Man playing into like my my love of comics. Like, and I'm gonna get to draw him someday. That's like my my goal. It's like, and I when I do, I want it to be for real. Like if I like, I'm never really gonna do fan art of it. Like I have a commission of Spider Man. I'm actually doing. But um, I try to not do it that much because I have like a weird superstition that like when I draw it, I want it to be for Marvel. But anyway, um, so I go to get this like issue of Web of and uh, uh, TMNT Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle number two was out like and just on the fucking spinner rack. Like it was, uh, you know, I, I had heard about one, but it was hard to find because like they just had gone through so many printings. But two was fine. Yeah. and It was there. I just bought it off the fucking racks. And I just that that right there was when um, I realized it was people making comics. Because I don't know that I really right. realized, like to me, like the fact that there was pencilers, inklers, all of that shit, like colorists. Marvel's this huge corporation. They've got ads from fucking like movies and video games in there. And it's like, oh, these are like businesses that make comics. But when I picked up Teenage, and I'd only ever heard the name, I didn't really know what the comics were. So I bought issue two because I have so many people that talked about them. I hadn't even seen issue one. I bought issue two, and uh, yeah, and I was just like, oh shit people make comics like you like a person mm-hmm. can make a comics and that's when i really started drawing in earnest that's when i was really like oh now i'm like making my own characters and i'm just drawing like weird shit there was another book from uh white wolf publishing called uh moonstruck 
that came out and that was a guy it's like a bad i mean it's it's kind of great it's this guy like alex sheikman i think he still makes comics here or there he's like i've seen him his name listed at shows here and there and i'm like yeah like i met him in san diego fucking 10 years ago and it, like he was another guy because he was a guy who made a comic and like once i saw sure, right. one person making a comic i was like oh shit like a guy could make a comic and i remember like looking at like um those air cell uh elf lord comics it was like sexy elf <laughs> sure. comics yeah and just like it, you know and i gotta say man that comic took a minute to get like sexy time but when it did i was like oh this is not what i want from comic books not not right. like, none of this like the cover <laughs> right. the first cover of the first issue looked so cool and it looked like it was going to be like elves kicking the sh- i mean there was a, a little bit of like elves like violence but once it turned into like romance comics and like you know naked right. elves, like you know like i'm not here for naked elves man that's a bridge too far yeah um, when the needle dropped on the barry white album you uh, yeah, go, yeah. wait a minute <laughs> i was like looking around like oh shit i gotta get out of here uh but yeah it was um yeah those were the kind of like that's what kind of kickstarted like i want to make comics and not just enjoy them like that's when i thought like oh i'm a guy who draws you know it's like you know, I'm sure yep. you're, we all had like the same story, right? We all were like drawing in class when we should have been doing our work. But you know how it mm-hmm. goes like when you're in like when I was in like first grade, I was like one of the 10 best artists in my class. And then when I'm in like seventh grade, I'm on like maybe the top five. And then like by mm-hmm. the time I'm in like high school, I'm like, uh, like I went to high school with Phil Jimenez. You know what I mean? So I had, I, I had to wait for him to graduate before like I could even get near the top five of my you know high school class. But but then I went to the high school. The arts were like all the best artists from all the schools are all going to the yeah. same school. So now I've dropped down to like, you know, second from the bottom or something. So right, I, you're back down, you're back down. Yeah. To low, low yeah. Rank, yeah. My rankings are dropping out. Yeah. So, um, but it was, uh, yeah, it, it, it was, you know, always comics, but when I was at the high school, of the arts, you know, that was, it was much more focused on fine art, you know, so like I'm painting and sculpting and doing ceramics and, you know, textiles mm-hmm. and shit like that. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, once I got out of like, and then, once I got out of school, went to or out of high school, I went to the graphic design school because I didn't want to be a starving artist. Like I saw what that had totally. kind of done to friends of mine. I was like, I can't, I can't do that. Like I'm not because I lived in L.A. too. So it's like watching starving artists in L.A. like living in these like shithole apartments, you know, like in the the really scary parts of Long Beach and stuff. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing any of that. Like I, I like air conditioning it. Like, you know, like in a parking spot would be nice. Right, so, sure. Um, so I went to graphic design school so I could get like a job, you know, you know what used to be called, you know, uh, commercial art when I was, uh, yes. when I was a kid. So yeah, I was, it was a commercial art and, um, and, uh, like, you know, I learned how to like wax down PMTs. It was like before computers had completely mm-hmm. taken over. So they kind of hedged their bets. They're like, Oh, we're going to teach you how to use like a stat camera and like Ruby lift and all that shit. Sure. And then also here's the computers cause they're brand new and yeah, it looks like people are going to be using these in the future. So let's teach you how to do that. And I'm, I'm using like Photoshop three, which was super unforgiving, right? Like, like you had to set your, <laughs> like it had all layer, you know, like there was no layers. Um, it had like one undo. You had to manually set your screen angle so you wouldn't get a moray pattern. Like, uh, there was mm-hmm. so much like, you know, you had to set your black saturations. Like you open, you, you opened a Photoshop file and you just had to go through and you're like, okay, let me make sure my black saturation isn't going to soak my paper through. Uh, let me make sure mm-hmm. my screen angles aren't going to, um, moray. Uh, I'm trying to think there was just like a list of things you had to do because you know PageMaker was such a, a unforgiving program that if you were placing documents and layouts it was like you had to make sure your photo like was brought in at 100 percent. so you had to like figure out your line screen ang- or your uh, yeah your your dpi or lpi and yeah so anyway i learned how to do all that by fucking hand and then got on the computers which were like barely better than actually doing it by hand um and then um in graphic design school i maybe shortly thereafter i'm trying to think would have been like 98 ish so it's like shortly after graphic design school i learned how to tattoo like the second i got my degree 
uh, I got an apprenticeship to tattoo. And so I actually got to use gra my graphic design to keep me alive because um, I could freelance graphic design on the side while I apprenticed as a tattoo artist because you make zero money when you tattoo. And then, right. uh, and then when I was tattooing, I hooked back up with a friend of mine from high school. Like probably he and I of, of our grade were probably the two best artists in, our, in, in my grade, you know, class of 92 Cypress High School. Um, and he had started inking for Top Cow. And he was the guy. Who, huh. uh, yeah, this is like, you know, like late 90s when you, everyone had a studio. So it's like, you know, uh, I think Benitez is still with Top Cow. Uh, Turner's still with Top Cow maybe at this time. He might have just left for Fathom. I don't remember. Either Yeah, either Turner was still there or he had just left. I think Benitez was still doing stuff for them. Um, i trying to think who all was there. But like, you know, I was friends with like, you know, Joe Weems and Danny Mickey at you know, Black Hand, mm -hmm. like John Levisay and those guys like, you know, 90s inkers and stuff. And so he was the guy who like saw the work that I was doing, like, you know, fucking around the tattoo shop. And he's just like, you know, we had downtime. He's like, dude, you should be doing comics. I'm like, that's what I'm trying to do. Like, I have no idea. Like, this is kind of pre like internet, like really having information on it, you know? So he's like, yeah, I mean, like, I'll, we'll come to Comic-Con. I'll introduce you around. And so we went in 99 and that was like what really lit my fire to start making comics and trying to get into comics again. And, uh, so like I went, you know, then I stopped tattooing and went into advertising because uh, I had a kid. It was just like, I, I need, mm -hmm. I need benefits in a steady paycheck. So, um, you know, because like tattooing is great. You can make like, you know, 700 bucks in a day. And then you can also go two weeks with no money. And uh, my daughter was going to be right. hungry every day. So I'm like, oh, I should probably get a job where I can feed my kid, you know. So, uh, but, uh, you know, I still tattooed on the side, uh, still drawing comics, trying, trying to get into comics. And uh, yeah, yeah. So that was 90, I think, yeah, 98, we went to, or no, 99, we went to the first, my first Comic-Con. Yeah, yeah. And that was, and that was when I was like, oh, okay, like this, like, you know, who to meet, you know, getting emails from people and the addresses from some people, you know, like send them stuff. Right. Like oh, yeah. People. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, that's kind of like, so 98 is when I really like, I'm going to, I'm going to do comics again. That's when I, I came back around and saw like people making a living in it. Like, you know, I, I got to meet all these professional inkers who like had houses and shit. I'm like, oh, okay. Like you can like make money and support yourself making comic books. So I can, I'm going to do that. And, it only took like really like another decade before I really started making my own. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I did that. I, I fucked around until I, uh, you know, 2004, I was still in advertising, but in 2004, I got a job with uh, doing graphic design for Todd McFarlane. So I was, mm. over, I was over there for four years. And then when I, when I left Todd, that's basically when I started making my own comics. Were you doing packaging stuff for him? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I ended up in packaging because that used to happen in Jersey. He used to have, I think he still, I think he does. So he had two offices, one in Phoenix um, or Tempe, and then one in uh, New Jersey, Bloomingdale, New Jersey. Uh, and New Jersey is where all the sculpting and packaging happened. And then okay. uh, Phoenix is where like the comics kind of like production end of comics happened. So initially I was handling all of, uh, or part of the team that handled all of the marketing efforts, both online and in like previews and shit like that any graphic design that kind of happened away from packaging. And uh, we also put the books together. So I was like the senior art director okay. on, on Spawn for uh, 20, 30-ish. I don't remember. Like in, somewhere in the like right. 230s, I think I'm in there. 130s, maybe the 130s. Fuck, I don't know. I'd have like, my name's in the book. I did um, right. I did one inside front cover illustration for Sam and Twitch case files. Like that was the first thing I ever got published was like art of mine was on the inside front cover of the Sam and mm -hmm. Twitch. Uh, just because we had nothing to put in there. I'm like, I had this dumb drawing. I literally, I think it was on typing paper of like Sam and Twitch that I'd done. Like, fuck, <laughs> scan it in. Let's put it in there. It's a black and white book. It'll be fine. Um, and then Todd's like, yeah, fine, let's do it. So yeah, Todd gave me my first published work in comics ever. 
which I think is true. I don't know if I did anything before that, but um, yeah. And then eventually um, packaging ended up in Phoenix because Todd was kind of sick of the way that he wanted to supervise it. He didn't like the way that it was mm-hmm. happening because dealing with China, dealing with, dealing with New Jersey to then deal with China to then make anything happen was too much steps. And so uh, he could like watch me like design packaging and <laughs> come over. So that all, that's great. In. Yeah. That's always uh, great. He, he's, he is hands-on. I'll say that. Um, nothing escapes his purview. Uh, and, um, and then, uh, yeah, so I was in packaging for a hot minute and then, um, got a head issue with the kind of head of that division. So like there was packaging in some other, divi- other department and they were under this guy, this fucking dorks, uh, under his supervision. And, um, he and I just did not get along. He was just, uh, he claimed to have a marketing background and, uh, just, just didn't. You know, had spent zero right. time. Again, a degree in marketing, but like had zero practical experience. You know, and he's like five minutes older than I am, and he's trying to like talk to me about like how advertising or marketing works. And I'm like, dude, like at that point, I'd been like a you know decade or so in, and I was like, I like yeah, man, I've been doing this a minute. Like I kind of know how this works. And you know, he and I just had different ideas about shit, and um, and so he tried to have me fired, and I ended up getting promoted out of that department in a raise in the same conversation hmm. and he had like he had like he's printed out emails like he was really like gonna make a case he had his whole little case we had a meeting with me like because at first it had gotten quashed by um god this is all ancient history i guess i can talk about it at first it had gotten quashed by larry martyr who's a really good friend of mine he was the first president of image comics larry martyr's the fucking best like uh, and so he was a president at mcfarland when i was there most of the time i was there and um when that guy tried to get me fired, it got up to Larry's desk and, and Larry said, no, that, nah, like this guy's, you know, that other guy's been here five minutes, you know, Gonzo's been here at that point, like two or two and a half years, whatever. He's like, you know, I, I paid my dues, man. I was a made man. Like I couldn't be touched. And so Larry fucking washed it. And then that guy went over Larry's head and went straight to Todd about the whole thing. And so now oh, Todd's, wow. yeah, and Todd's just fucking, you know, and, and so Larry's pissed and Larry's in that meeting. Fucking Todd's yep. kind of pissed because he has to get involved in this bullshit interpersonal nonsense. And so it wasn't looking good for this guy anyway. And also I had been an earner for you know a few years at that point. So Todd's not gonna fucking fire me. He's a loyal guy. And I had done nothing but fucking work for those guys, you know. So mm-hmm. we show up at this meeting and he's got all his little he's got his case against me just set in front of him. All of these like literal, he's printed emails out, all this shit. Like it's all sitting there. He's ready to go through it, he's gonna make his case. And he starts to talk, and then Todd's like, "What? I don't, no, what, what, let's talk to Gonzo. Like, what is Gonzo? What's going on here, man? Like, what is it you want from this situation?" And I told him X, Y, and Z, like what I thought was fair and stuff. And he goes, "Okay, let's let's do this. Let's move you out of that department into this into his think tank." Todd, Todd had a think tank, which is like his personal little design section of the of the, you know we'll do that. We'll get you you know X amount of money, blah blah blah. And then um and then like that guy is still sitting there, kind of like huffing about the whole thing. And Todd just looks at him in his little pile of papers, and he's like. Yeah, man, you can you can go. I'm gonna talk to Gonzo for a bit. <laughs> and like fucking, he just dismissed him. And then me and uh, me and Todd talked about the specifics of what I'd be doing in this think tank. And then uh, that was the end of that day. So, uh, and then and then I was in this think tank. So it was me, um, yeah, me, John Goff, uh, who was the EIC over there for a while. He's uh, um, he writes books for Halo now. He's like their chief okay. narrative like guy. Like he works for Bungie and Halo, and like he's kind of in charge of their like fiction that stretches beyond uh any of the game stuff like he's 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 the guy over there he's a great mm-hmm. dude i love that guy i saw him at, i just saw him in san diego he's fucking great um this guy jin han who had like i think an animation background he was like a really tremendous illustrator 
I don't know where he landed, but like, man, he was great. But also, in, and then me, and then also in my department was Greg Capullo because uh, this oh, was kind of during okay. Greg's like quiet time when Greg really wasn't doing any comics. He was, but he was just doing concept work for Todd. And it's hard, it's hard to shine as any kind of art star when you're in a department with Greg Capullo, I gotta say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. So I was, I was there for a minute and then, um, you know, cutbacks happened in 2008. Uh, I mean, like he lost a fucking chunk of his workload. Like he lost, you know, I think by mm-hmm. the end of the year, Dude, we all did. Yeah. Yeah. By the end of the year, I mean, it was just bad. Cause like China had to stop keeping their currency artificially low to the American dollar, like the inter- international monetary fund, like got involved. And so they suddenly they had to like be, uh, pegged to some floating index and it changed like the valuation of like the dollar against the Chinese currency plastics got, a, or I'm sorry, petroleum got over a hundred dollars a barrel at the time too. So like mm-hmm. almost in two weeks, toys got like 30 to 40% more expensive to make, you know, just overnight, just based on like, you know, uh, you know, uh, exchange rates and plastic, you know, the cost of plastic in and of itself. Like, so he tried to write it out. He made a couple bad, uh, licensing decisions and it was just like oh you know he started shedding some people from the top you know like freeing up some salaries and then you kind of saw like Mm -hmm. yeah there's going to be a bloodletting and i was in the first wave so i got i got taken very well take very well taken care of um and then there was like a second and third wave that really those were massacres man i know yeah 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 so anyway like i don't want to put all his business out there. well no, you know it's a you know it, it makes me it, you know i actually i was i was out of my so i was working for a multi-billion dollar international company at that time as an art director uh for ralph lauren and you know that went and you know that whole downturn in, in 08 and i was part of the first group that was let go and yeah. you know you think if you're part of the first people to be let go like that's like a sign of you know oh you're the worst people get rid of the yeah, worst yeah. people first they're the people who get the best deals oh yeah you know? and, and like, they, they, get, they know we're the ones who will land on our feet they're like oh these guys are good right. and i from what i hear right. everyone i think there was a group of like 13 of us who got let go that day not a single person fought it we all just asked what our right. severance packages were we're like okay cool what's our, what's my severance you know, like so yep yeah, no, they, it's 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 interesting because that, I think because it is that second round and you know God forbid the third round of people they don't get anything. Yeah, like it's yeah. it's the it's the bottom of the barrel like whatever they are legally entitled to give. Yep, that's it, and they they do it. But like the other way they they go, are you okay with this? Do you need anything else? Like it, it's this whole kind of thing. They're like, okay, cool. So yeah, so yeah. if you're the first to go in a company, um country of blessings yeah i mean i I'd worked in advertising for so long at that point too that like because you know, i've been in agency life for you know a good eight or nine years before i went to mcfarland and and um it was like uh you know businesses shrink and go with advertising like you get three clients you get you hire up you know you lose one big client we got to fire like half the staff so it's like i i had seen companies you know expand and contract so many times that like kind of having like a um you know an erratic resume when you're in advertising is kind of par for the course i don't know that anyone really mm-hmm. You know, unless you're in like 13 places in one year, you know, like that, it, it's hard to look any kind of suspect. Yeah, it's it's mostly just yeah. like, oh, oh, well, I was at Lane and they had this, that, and the other client, and then we lost this client and that client, and so they, you know, I, I, you know, I was, you know, first in, I was, you know, or, you know, last in, first out, yeah. kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely had seen that happen, and so when I got like, oh, it wasn't the biggest deal, and I, honestly, the the severance money gave me a good month to kind of just figure out, maybe two months of like 
figuring out what I wanted to do next, uh, one of which was like doing my own comic. I mean, that's ultimately what mm-hmm. led to Lomano. I mean, I had started developing the idea as Lucha Spawn over at Todd. And then when I left, I asked Todd if he wanted to do anything with it. And he's like, no, nah, I can't really, so take it. It's like, cool. So I filed the serial numbers off. I changed this, the changed the story substantially. Because, you know, Todd's a, he tells a different kind of story than I do. So, I, uh, mm-hmm. yes. So, I mean, I mean, and I, I got to, basically, I got to develop my project both there and in my time walking away from there. So, I, I, I got nothing but love for Todd and my time there. Yeah. Um, you know, still, if I see him, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk. We're going to say hi and stuff. Love, love the guy. Um, and then I still know some people over there and stuff. But um, it was a good place to have worked. I always tell people, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, and I, I stand by the, the impact of those guys had on the industry is some of the greatest change oh, in yeah. comic book history. And it's not a matter of the work they did as comic book creators. It's not a matter of the quality of their artwork. It really is what they said to a, you know, an entire industry is that, we are going to look after ourselves mm-hmm. and we're going to build something. And they changed so much in, in no time at all. Like it went from all the power in two buildings yeah. in New York city to East coast, West coast, hip hop war. Like oh, it yeah, just sure. immediately was like, okay, it's not the same. I mean, I think that they, created- how did it feel? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think they created an environment in which my comic has supported me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that like me as an independent creator could just do comics for a living if it wasn't for a, a, a industry that had been primed by those guys doing their thing as long as they did for me to be able mm-hmm. to like, you know, succeed there. So, I mean, they, uh, yeah, they, they, they made it to where retailers looked in the independent section of, of diamond previews. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, just, it's a, uh, right. it's a different world that doesn't, you know, it, it, they broke the studio system of comics essentially. Yeah, yeah, you no, were totally, totally. Yeah. What was your question? Yeah, so what, how did it feel? Because I, I, I was listening to you talk about that and then knowing like your absolute, you know, passion for comic books. But like my body was going like, okay, I'm in the comic book business, but I'm not making comic books. Like that's like, that was my physiological response oh. to hearing you talk. So I go like, okay, well, you know, what does that, how does that manifest in t- internally for you? You know, I kind of like I think that before I got there, I would have thought I was good enough to get a job at Marvel or DC. Once I mm-hmm. got there, I kind of realized I needed to hone my skills. And there was a lot about the business of it I didn't understand. And um, I just thought of it as like boot camp. Like I'm going to sh- shut up, keep my head down and try to like get good information from Todd, from Larry, from anyone I get to talk to, you know, like. Um, right. And uh, and I did. I got uh, I got a really good, you know double-sided education while I was there, you know, cause Larry Martyr's a guy who self-published a book from the eighties until today. I mean, he's still putting out Bean Wolf through, through dark horse. Um, and then Todd's a guy who like worked in the studios, you know, and then did his own thing. And so like, I kind of, I got the like very big, like, this is, you know, this is how a, a guy can blow up and like, you know, be the industry for a few minutes. And then here's uh here's like, just chugging along doing your own thing but you know maintaining the integrity of what it is you wanted to do so it was just to get education and I, I i definitely like by the time i got that like one inside front cover image i think that was an image that i like when i saw it i knew like i knew that it was like okay enough to be in a comic book you know i, I wasn't like you right know, and i i don't think that my skill 
was consistently as good as it could have been to be a comic book artist when I thought that I could have been a comic artist. Like, you know, when I was in my 20s and like maybe my early 30s, like I don't think that um, I could do a quality drawing here or there, but I don't know that I could do 22 pages of it. I don't know that I could have done right. you know, like monthly, you know, yeah. so um, I need I need to put the reps in and, and that helped me do that. Just kind of being around that kind of group of people. Uh, and then, you know, when I got out, I definitely was like, okay, now, now I'm going to do my own thing. But I, I mean, like I had been working, like I said, on that Lucha Spawn thing when I was at McFarlane and that, that was kind of the point where I thought like, and everyone was on board, like Todd was going to put it out. Like we were going to, you mm -hmm. know, like it was going to happen while I was there. And, and then when I left, I don't think he just, I don't think he was the, of the right persuasion to, to handle that, that subject matter. So he let sure. it go. No, like, no, no, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah that so, makes sense. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, so like, I, I kind of had the, like, you're good enough to make comics here confidence uh -huh. when i left there but it wasn't until literally my last six months of being there that i really thought you know like because I, mean, I was okay like doing concept art and stuff like that like that's fine it was never mm -hmm. the final thing i could color i colored books over there like i worked on comics like you know i lettered books i colored books uh, i got to learn every aspect of the like i got to you know learn the industry sure. standards on how to put the books together so by the time i left i could just make my own fucking books i had done every aspect of it you know um you know from con concept to sending it off to the printer, you know, like the, the actual Quebecore printer that, that, you know, Todd used at the time. And so, um, yeah, I, I, um, getting there, uh, was humbling, you know, not in like a bad way, but just like, a, Oh yeah, I do have like a ways to go, but they were also supportive mm -hmm. enough for me to like get there. And ultimately by the time I left, I was, I was only there for four years. And so in four years, you know, basically I went to college. So when I graduated yeah, yeah. college, you know, I'm like, college. Yeah, I, I got out and, and uh, you know, I had the like, yeah, you, you know, you were ready to go. We were ready to put your comics out. But, you know, like the business kind of like, you know, didn't, didn't, it took a bad break. And so, I mean, there was times when I really felt like I you know, kind of like, fuck, I'd really love to be doing something. I definitely pitched ideas and try to worm my way into things. Um, but they were, you know, Larry and Todd were great about saying no in a way that wasn't like just get better. You know what I mean? Like it was, you know, like, sure. Uh, so I definitely, you know, it, it allowed me to kind of have some perspective on like what it is. I, I really do well, you know, cause like, I think when I started there, I was like still, you know, enamored with guys like, you know, Humberto Ramos and like Chris Pachalo. And there's like a whole chunk of mm -hmm. my portfolio that like is this kind of like random thick line nonsense that I don't really think I had the firmest grasp on. Um, it, right. again, it's me, you know, emulating the style of success, not the substance. And, um, yeah, I really got like, a, I got to kind of figure out like, you know, when I got there, I was just a good designer. You know, like I had done pretty, you know, some okay things here in Phoenix and I had, you know, I had my awards and my like shit that people had seen and stuff. And so I thought, you know, like I, I just kind of thought I was just like, you know, a hot shit creative and, and they did a really good job of like, you know, uh, disabusing me of that, that, uh, that notion, but not in a bad way. Like they weren't like, you know, now nah, you don't fucking shit, you know, but they were like, yeah, you know, the these are areas you can work on. And this is something, you know, we need to think here. And they, they kind of really help hone my craft into a little more thoughtful process that I mm -hmm. currently have. Because I haven't, you know, I wasn't, I don't think it was until like my thirties that I really started thinking about art, you know, like I really had to go back and look at some of the shit I'd learned at like the high school of the arts and like, Oh yeah. We like, you know, we read this James Dewey book when I was in like, you know, when I was like 14, right? Like, <laughs> like, fuck, I should like, maybe like, you know, I, I, you know, I read it for the class and like, I didn't, I didn't remember any of it. And like, I would, you know, while I was there, I found myself like kind of quoting it, you know, I'm like, wait, I should probably mm -hmm. go back and like really read that fucking thing and make sure I understand what it, you know, what it means. And kind of like, yeah, I think, you know, guys like Larry Martyr really helped me kind of start to think about what it is I do. And then I had, uh, I went from there 
uh, to, I actually started freelancing at this agency that, um, so I'd been in an agency right before I went to Todd's and it was a, it was, um, an agency of two guys who owned it. So it was like their last names, like the Torfelson and Mendertrick. Mm-hmm. I got that. There's, these are people who spot, I don't want to blow up. So, um, so it was like, you know, whatever it's like Torfelson and Menderchuk and Torfelson and Menderchuk like split up while I'm at McFarland. So they start two different agencies and like, let's say okay. Torfelson is very like business guy and he wants to like, you know, pad his portfolio and, and, uh, Menderchuk is like more uh, the creativity part of it, you know? And so he mm-hmm. starts kind of, and he had been, I, when I was at the, when they were both together, I was kind of like bouncing between the two. And that's kind of why I left because I was kind of getting, you know, cause uh, one saw my potential and one saw my skill. Like one wanted me to make him money for my skill set mm-hmm. and one saw my potential and wanted to hone me into being a better ad man. And so I left McFarlane after kind of, you know, getting the kind of guru treatment of Larry Martyr. And, and was kind of more in a like considered headspace when it came to creativity. And I started working for, you know, Menderchuk had started his own agency. And at that point, he's going full, like, academic approach to, like, advertising. And he's, like, he, like just dealing with him is, like, everything he had learned in his, like, 50 years on the job, he's, like, trying to put into everything. It was kind of mm-hmm. like his last guy. It was, like, the last thing he really did before he kind of retired. And so... Every day there was like a salon session. Like we're just sitting there like, you know, talking about like the theory and reading books. And have you read this book and that book? And you know, he started to do lectures at colleges and shit. I'm helping, I'm helping him prepare like his PowerPoint for those lectures. And so I'm like really right. digesting all of this. And so it was, it was like kind of that point, like the, my post McFarlane years, freelancing and graphic design, working on my own comic, kind of really being considered as an artist, going back and rereading all of this like you know early art education that i thought was bullshit when i was in high school because i was like a 14 year old stoner in art class i just like drawing skulls right. you know and then like now i'm like learning about james dewey and artist experience and you know like all of this like it just all seemed like bullshit to me like i when are we going to put you know pen on paper and um yeah that that was a real inflection point for me so somewhere around like 33 i think is when i left i was like 33 years old and and uh really started like, oh, this is the thing I'm going to do. I should probably be as good at this as I possibly can. And some of that mm-hmm. involves thinking about it and not just doing it, you know? And so that's when I, totally. and I got, um, I got, I got divorced too. So I was like, yeah, I just like really kind of okay. blew my life up. And like when I was like 33, uh, but it, you know, I was dating a girl who lived in California, I lived in Arizona. And so I, my life wasn't just consumed with like new relationships. I got a lot of alone time because like I only had my kids half the week. My girlfriend lived in another state. Um and I'm just working on creative shit all of the time. And so that's when I really kind of like became this like creative monk where I was just really like head down, kind of, you know, meditating on the idea of creativity, like what it means to be a creative, like what the actual art in art is. Like um all of those sorts of things like kind of, you know, in a real philosophical way. Like I'm an atheist, so like this is my only religion. Like, this is the only thing that I have. The only mm-hmm. thing I have any kind of faith in is the trans I believe in. The only thing I have belief in, like everything else I kind of know, right? Uh, I, I believe in the transformative power of creativity, of art. Sure. And, and, yeah. um, and I think that when done well, any form of creativity can be transformative to an audience, whether that be... Um, an ad campaign or something as disposable as a comic book. And it doesn't have to be like love and rockets, you know what I mean? For a comic book, like all of those, mm-hmm. you know, like, like you can change life. Like, you know, I learned more about power and responsibility from fucking Stanley and Spider-Man 
you know, than I did from uh, mm -hmm. any philosophy class I took in junior college, right? Like, yes, I read Sartre, you know, you read, yes, I read Kierkegaard. However, you know, power and responsibility like that, you know, like that, that I learned from a comic book, you know, like I learned more about, you know, yep. you know toxic masculinity from the Hulk than I did any Gloria Steinem, right, you know, uh, article. So I think that mm -hmm. there, uh, there are, you know, there's a reason that things can resonate culturally and, and whether or not they're quote unquote trash culture uh, is irrelevant, you know, like there, there's a reason I love pro wrestling, you know what I mean? Like it, it is you know, like, there's something there that, that goes beyond the silly things that people who don't understand it think, might think it is. So um, anyway, yeah, that, that was the time when I, you know, coming out of, out of McFarland, going to that agency, working, you know, working for that guy as long as I did is really when I, and I really just up my profile and everything I did, you know, I started doing my own comic and it started, you know, it, it did well for me or has done well for me for the past decade. Uh, I still stayed with advertising here and there. And that's when people like, I got a job as a creative director at an agency because of like the way that I approach work and all of this. Like, I think that's when people started taking me seriously as a creative is when I started taking creativity seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, I mean, how did you approach making the book? Because I mean, like, you know, you, 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 you said it wasn't until you saw the, you know, the turtles book that it was people making it, you know, there's yeah. a person making this versus this entity. And, you know, it is one of the hardest things that I see through experience is when the artist says, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to write this story. Like, because it's, it's a very, it's interesting because you can sit down and you can kind of fantasize about it in your head and you can draw it with your hand. But the idea of codifying this thing in some sort of form, structured form, gets a little kind of dicey for a lot of creators early on. And it, like, do you think it was sort of beaten out of you by osmosis in at McFarlane or was it something you still had to kind of reckon with? Well, I, I think that one of the things I learned there um, was what you're really selling as an artist isn't my skill or my, you know, craft it's uh it's my affection for what i'm making like i'm selling my mm -hmm. love for it like especially in today and it's only gotten worse you know because like you know we live in a day and age where you know whatever like the media i interact with like i interact with on the same thing that my mom tells me that she loves me on right like you know what i mean like so we're not right. emotionally prepared for that i'm sorry i'm, I'm holding my phone up to, to people who are just yeah, like, yeah 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 it's like so when you can have a true emotional connection with your subject matter with like as a creator your audience will also have a true emotional connection to your subject matter. So I knew it had to be something that I loved. And when it came time to, you know, cause I had been working on the Lucha Spawn thing and, and also I got, I got a little glimpse at uh, what money decisions when it comes to creativity can, can do to you. You know what I mean? Like you make mm -hmm. business decisions about your creativity, you know, for more money and they can, they can leave you, you know, a little flat footed, which I saw, you know, like I said, Todd, Todd made some bad licensing decisions. He backed the right. wrong pony, you know, and on paper, all that shit, you know, nobody knows, nobody in Hollywood, nobody in toy business, nobody in comics, nobody knows what's going to work. They just know what has right. worked. And the post-mortem yep. on those is not always the right lessons that they learn, right? So mm -hmm. this is how you get gritted teeth for every book after The Dark Knight, right? So anyway, I knew that I wasn't going to trend chase. I knew that I wasn't going to try to engineer something that was sellable, you know? So... I was like, you know, and I've been working on this Lucha Libre comic and I loved working on it when I was at, at McFarland, right? So I had like about eight pages of it. I, I had to, 
Uh, I actually think I had like 10 or 12 because I just realized recently that some of those pages actually make it into issue two. So it wasn't, it wasn't the first eight pages. It was like 10 or 12 pages, but I pulled a bunch of them and reorganized them and had to redraw some stuff and redraw the mask. And, you know, like I, I literally cobbled together some. Anyway, um, I, I did it to where it was um, the first three pages of what I would have wanted that Lucha Sponsorian to be had it been my book and not Todd's book. Mm-hmm. You know? So like the, right. the Faustian bargain is less violent. There's less, you know, like all of this shit. Like I just made it, I love dumb, mm-hmm. I love dumb, fun comics, man. Like I think dumb fun is super underrated in this, in this culture. It's like, <laughs> go watch the Jackass movie. It is fucking transcendent. You know what I mean? Like Jackass four, like was so cathartic and it's just dudes who love each other fucking with each other. And because the love sure, is there, right. it makes the fuck, it makes the dumbness of it more endearing. Anyway. So I just wanted to make dumb, fun comics and not, not quote unquote serious comics, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, so I, I rejiggered that comic into something that I thought was presentable of what I, I thought I might want to do, right? Like I had this loose idea. I, I knew where the story, I knew the point of the story I wanted to make, right? Like I knew, right. I knew that like um, I wanted to make a point about, and this is so, this sounds so high-minded, but I just wanted to make a point <laughs> about um, like Latinos internalized respectability politics of like the Chicano diaspora in America, right? Like there's a lot of like what it means to be a Latino in America and, and specifically like a Chicano. Right. So, and I, I knew that like, I could, I could examine that through the assumption of a mask in Lucha Libre, which is something that mm-hmm. is also extremely quintessentially Mexican. It is Mexican yeah. wrestling. Right. So, um, and it's a rarity that there's something like that that doesn't have really American. I mean, like people in America and Canada do do it, but it's like luchadors are like our mounties, right? Like they are symbolic of like country of an entire people, mm-hmm. right? Like, so sure. anyway, I did that. So, and I, and I had, I said about eight or nine pages of, con, of consecutive storytelling along with other shit that I had drawn as a portfolio. And I realized in, at San Diego in like maybe 2008, uh, 2009, maybe I think I went, I had those, I had like, like nine consecutive pages. I had other stories I wanted to tell, like the Sunfire comic I wrote and all this other shit. And when I took it around, like editors would look through it, they would always stop on the Lucha Libre pages. I'm like, what is this? And, right. And and, uh, and I'm like, oh, this is the you know, Lucha Libre thing. I'm like, fuck, that's cool. So much so that Dark Horse was like, hey man, I want to see this. Is like, I want to see this whole first issue, and your plan for the rest of it. And so that's mm-hmm. when I was like, okay, now now I have an assignment to do this, right? So I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. let, like let's do this. So I sit down, I finish, like, I, I figure out what it, like, I outlined it before I did anything. And I was like, okay, well, this is the point I wanted to make. This is the examination. This is where I know it's going to end. How do I get there in six issues? Cause they're like, we're looking at, we're like, we're looking at mini series. So not, I know it's not going to be an ongoing, mm-hmm. but I want to do six issues. So I break into six issues and I look at it. And more importantly, like kind of the impetus for making it the way that I made it is like when I was making it for McFarlane, it was a McFarlane comic. So it was very, you know, gritty and dark and whatever mm-hmm. sure and i was very tired of seeing and i've talked about this in the back matter of my trade paperback i was i was fucking tired of seeing mexico portrayed as sepia tone and brown and dirty looking in that all these stories about mexico involve poverty and violence and the cartels and it's like it it uh, it elicits this kind of patronizing pity from white people in america like oh look at these poor brown people who have to these poor proud brown people who have to nobly face all this <laughs> struggling violence. and yeah. dirt farming their way through life yeah, exactly sure. it's fucking you know, noble savage bullshit and i was like fuck this like right and i was just sick of seeing these like dirty brown versions of like my culture and I, like because i know like chicano culture mexican culture is so much more bright and vibrant than that i mean like you mm-hmm. can see the sarape behind me like it's just like 
the, yeah, color, yeah. the color of the wall. Like this is like that's this is like Mexican culture is like these kind of colors and brightness. And so like so not only do I get to like examine the the um, identity politics of being Chicano with like the through the lens of like Lucha Libre and like putting masks on, I also um, can push back on this mono narrative of cartels that's being told about my culture and like this brown grittiness. Uh, with bright vibrance of the pageantry of Lucha Libre, because it is a bright, vibrant, mm-hmm. you know, dynamic thing. I'm like, oh, cool, I can put that in there. And then I'm like, oh, it's going to happen in the 60s, because that's the the heyday of La Luchador, was like the 1960s in Mexico, when they're making movie after movie after movie. They're on comic books, they're on lunch pails, they're everywhere in the 60s. So, like, now I get to do, like, a 60s comic, so it gets to look like that Kirby art that I fucking love, you know? And um, yep. I, uh, I, I can, you know, make it look like that Marvel house style, and I get to do like mid-century modern furniture and like googie architecture. <laughs> sure. Everything I fucking love. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to pack this thing filled with everything that I love. So everything that I draw, every suit, I love 60 suits, the cut on them, you mm-hmm. know, like everything that I draw, every hair, every big beehive hairdo, all of that shit is going to be fun. I'm going to love drawing every aspect of this book. There's no any part of it where I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to do that thing that I said I was going to do. Like now, now it has to happen, right? <laughs> now I got to draw the spaceship he gets into because I don't draw a fucking spaceship. Like, no, no, like everything's like, oh, I got to put this guy in a car. Cool. What's a fun 60s car I can put this guy in? You're like, oh, how about a right. 64 Lincoln Continental? Because those things are fucking dope, you know, or this guy's on this motorcycle. Like, oh, what did 60s Hondas look like back then? And like, oh, there's fun little, like the precursor to crotch rockets. Like I'll put them on the, like all of that shit. Like every, every part of it just got to be fun. So I just turned it into something I loved and, and, um, yeah, and so I just made sure that I ensured that I was going to be enthusiastic about everything. Finished the first issue, plotted out the other six or the other five, went back to Dark Horse. Um, they loved it, but they knew that they they knew and I didn't that DC was going to relaunch its universe. So everybody was like hunkered down, you know, for 2011, waiting for waiting for the yeah the, the, the shoe to drop. Yeah, because it's just going to flood the market. Like 52 titles are going to yep. be on the shelves. So no one's taking any chances. They're just like, they're battening down the hatches. They're going to do what they know sells. Dark Horse is going to lean into Hellboy, you know, like fuck everyone's mm-hmm. going to yeah. lean into whatever the, that they, they knew they could sell. And so, uh, and ultimately they couldn't find an editor who wanted to take it on. Like everyone else was kind of like at their max workload. Also, they weren't going to really expand too much. And so um, they ultimately passed, but they were like, man, but this is fucking cool. Like you should maybe self-publish this. I'm like, okay. So then I took it to like, eight other editors from, you know, uh, boom, Oni, like, and every one of them, like I got so many glowing rejection letters because everyone was like, Mm -hmm. dude, this is fucking cool. We can't do it. But let me tell you like all the cool shit we like. Like, I love this. I love this. I love this. You should self publish. I got like, you know, that's, that's every email. Love the book. Can't publish it. You should put it out yourself, blah, blah, blah. And then I finally got to, um, I think it was legendary. It was Bob Shrek, but I don't remember where he was at. I think he was at legendary at the time. And so Bob Shrek had read the book and he was like talking to someone when I got there and he gives me like, Hey man, hold on a sec. Cause I want to talk to you. Sort of thing. Like, cool, cool. And he like pulls me aside and he's like, look, man, he's like, we just don't have room for this here, but I got to tell you, this is really cool. I liked it a lot. You need to self publish this. Like he was like super serious <laughs> with me. And I'm like, you know, and when Bob Shrek tells you to fucking, you know, like you need yeah. to self publish, like, all right, I guess, I guess I'm self publishing. And so, uh, it was again that was at San Diego as well. So I walked over to Larry Martyr's booth and I was like, and Larry's like drawing, he's like head down, he's drawing, you know, because we're old friends, so he's not like he doesn't have to really pay attention to me. And I'm like, hey man, like I just, you know, just talked to Bob Shrek and he's like the 10th person told me I need to self-publish this book. He's like, Yeah, you should. He just keeps drawing and stuff. 
and I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, like, is that like a big deal? Like, can I make that happen? And then, like, he puts his pencil down, makes direct eye contact, and he's like, "Look, you're a smart guy. You'll figure it out. If you have questions, give me a call." I'm like, "Okay, shit. I guess, I guess I'm just figuring it out." So that's how I ended up public, like, self-publishing the book, creating Castle and Key Publications, getting a spot in Diamond. I was in there for the first two issues, and then Diamond dropped me because I didn't hit my numbers because uh, New Fifty Two was happening, you know. So sure. uh, yeah, yeah. So and then I just, you know, there was a whole lot of like. You know, at about issue three, Hollywood got real involved, and I spent like a year and a half developing an animation project that never happened. Um, you know how fucking self-publishing goes, man. Like, you know, yeah. you get derailed and stuff. So, you know, yeah, I finally, you know, get to issue six in uh, 2019, and I had just finished a book with Henry Barajas over at Top Cow. He did an autobiography, or he did a biography of his great-grandfather, who was a civil rights leader in Tucson, Arizona in the 60s and 70s, had won the Yaqui tribe their their federal recognition so that they couldn't build a freeway through their land to do this really important you know like uh book for for uh, like you know biography of civil rights guy uh with with top cow and henry barajas is the writer on that he's he's a journalist so it's like super well researched right mm-hmm. and we do that and then um and then i finished lamano issue six and it's like cool we put out the trade for lavos de mayo which is the book that uh, henry did and then the the last issue of of uh is finally out people have been waiting for issue six for fucking nine years at that point let's fucking do it right, <laughs> right. We're going to go on a victory tour. You know, he's going to do a bunch of shows promoting Lavos. I'm going to go with him so I can also sell Lamano. That was November of 2019. We did one show. We did, uh, <laughs> no, we did two shows. We did uh, Tucson Comic Con, went over great. We did uh, BCAF in San Francisco, also went over uh-huh. great. Emerald and, City, here we come in the oh, spring. Oh, hell yeah, man. We're ready to go. Fucking nothing, <laughs> right? Shit, man. So uh, we do that. I run a, um, I decided that I wanted to do a trade paperback. And this is, this is sure. kind of where like, I sort of feel like- You mean I a graphic was, novel? No, 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 trade paperback. So yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah no, you, you can put your pinkies on this one. So yeah, so I, I decided to run a Kickstarter on, um, on the trade paperback. And Top Cow is interested in also running a trade paperback of it. I'm like, well, I want my trade paperback to be on newsprint because my issues are on newsprint. Because again, I want it to like look and feel and smell like an old comic. Like I want to give people, yeah. I want to give people an experience more than I just want to tell them a story, right? So I, it's on newsprint, so it, you know you can smell the ink on there. It's absorption print, not evaporative print. So the ink is in the paper, mm-hmm. not on the paper. Different kind of ink. So that's a, that old comic book smell. So and it also looks like a '60s comic because like you can see the the black overprints the colors. You can always see the the ink behind the black and stuff. And it's like mm-hmm. oh, there's like picking on it. Like I'm, it takes a lot of work to make a comic look fucked up and shitty, but it looks like a fucked up shitty comic. It's great. <laughs> so um, uh, I wanted it to be on newsprint to maintain the smell of the comic, and I also wanted. All six issues, uh, slightly oversized, so it's seven inches by eleven inches. And um, I want all six issues in English on one side, and then flip book, flip it over, all six issues in Spanish on the other side. Like I want a, nice. I want a bilingual flip book. I've got, you know, twenty six pages of back matter in there. I've got pinups by fourteen other artists. So, you know, we're looking at a four hundred page book now. And I was like, that's the thing that I want to make. And then, you know, like I said, Top Cow made overtures on wanting to do English only. And I, mm-hmm. was, I was like, yeah, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run the Kickstarter on my first because that's the book I want to see. And then we can do the English only after the fact. And I was, I was told, uh, milkman, um, like that's going to be a huge Kickstarter. And if you don't sell, if you don't back, if you don't fund your Kickstarter, the image top cow deal goes away. Like you don't get that. Like, cause they're going to see that it, right. that it didn't work. And they're going to see that, um, you know, they're not going to want to do it. He's like, but yep. if you go with top cow first in the image, you can use some of that money to then pay for this thing. And then you can have your, I'm like, look, man, if but it still might might not fund right so i'm like look if the english only version on regular paper standard image size comes out 
and it does fine, whatever. And then I try to do my Kickstarter for the bilingual one, and it doesn't fit, doesn't succeed. Like, you know, a people may have already bought the English one, and they don't want the, the Spanish the mm -hmm. bilingual one. Like, you know, so if that doesn't succeed, like I, I kind of like I want the English. Like that's the version in my head that I always wanted. I always wanted to be bilingual. I always wanted to do it in Spanish. Just doing the issues in Spanish as well wasn't cost effective. So having it in Spanish and English was important to me. That's the version I wanted to see. If it doesn't exist in the world, I kind of don't give a fuck if that other version exists, right? So I'm, right. I'm, I'm going to yeah. bank on me. I'm going to take a chance on me. I'm going to I'm going to run a, a you know a a uh, a robust goal for a Kickstarter. It was it was thirty nine thousand dollar Kickstarter that I ran and uh, mm -hmm. and it funded. And I like, you know, I was willing to bet on me. And that's, that's, this is, that's about the time that I was like, okay, I know the, I know the thing I want to see in the world. Just keep doing that and just keep making what yep. you want. And uh, eventually it will, it, you know, it can do well for you um, if you care about it. Right. Like, so, and then the top cow one came out and like, then that one did pretty well. Like I still, it's weird for me now to like, there's a version of my book that I, I didn't hand sell to most people. There's a version of my book out there where like, I'll be at a show and someone I've never met comes up and goes, Oh, Hey, I've, you know, got your book. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's weird that it's out like living its own life now. Cause for so long, it was just me selling books, you know, that's at shows. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was my thing was just like knowing what I wanted it to be kind of from the get go, but knowing that that needed to be about what I loved uh, and then mm -hmm. keeping it, keeping it as simple as that, just make sure that I love the book. And so I mean, you know, so I love the book and I'm, you know, I'm working on series two now. See, I mean, I, and it goes back, I mean, this goes to something I say oh, over and over again, is that if you can tap into that thing that sort of freezes in you at the age of 12. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that whole, whole youthful enjoyment, whatever you love to that point in your life, you're going to love forever. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if you can tap into that thing and express that, it's going to be the thing that everyone else can resonate with. Because what you said earlier in our talk about, you know, the postmortem and people not getting the right thing and, mm -hmm. you know, entertainment only knows what is trending versus what's going to be big. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's going to be big is something that comes from somebody that they need to do. Not what somebody says you have to make for me. It's what they need to do. And that's where we get, that's where we get all these great things with all the stuff that we all, you know, we mentioned already here or anything you can think of is a result of this internal need to express it. And I mean, the other day I was writing and like, like time, four hours went by, boom, done. And I'm, and I'm writing, I'm going along. I'm like, Oh, wow. That was that was quick. Like it felt like, you know, the mind was like, that was quick. And I realized, and I thought like, I'm thinking like, I don't know what I was stressed out about writing, mm -hmm. you know, 30 years ago. Like, I don't know what stressed me out about it. I don't know why people can't do it because my, my mind is like, this is just what's coming out of me because it's what I want to say. Mm -hmm. But I don't think, but like, I think if you're unable to allow whatever that thing is that you we, you were mentioning earlier that's inside you just to kind of have that avenue out, you're you're not going to be able to create the thing that is going to connect with other people. I don't know that m many people enough. I don't know that enough people, let's say that, have the confidence to be enthusiastic because it can be embarrassing, right? It's not sure. it's not cool to like like fucking love things unless it's a cool thing, right? That you kind of, you know, like it's, it's right. okay to be enthusiastic about sports, but you can't really contribute to that <laughs> other than being enthusiastic. So you can't fuck that up, right? Like, it's like people play 
safe with their with their joy, right? Like they affix it to things mm-hmm. that, like, that they you know are gonna look cool doing. And like, man, I'm into fucking dumb wrestling. I realize that that could look stupid to a lot of people, and it you know. But I've, I'm a guy who's lived so much of my life on the fucking you know on the outskirts that I kind of just don't give a fuck anymore. I was never the cool right. kid. I never worried about being the cool kid. Like I'm a you know, five foot six Mexican kid. Like I was never going to be like the, you know, the quarterback. I was never going to be, you know, dating the, the captain of the cheerleading team. Like it's just not going to happen for me. So I let go of kind of the, the ascribed prescribed metric for success mm-hmm. as far as American males go. And I just got into shit that really gave me joy, like cartoons and fucking like, I was never embarrassed of comics. Like I never, uh, I would never not wear like a Spider-Man t-shirt out in the world. I would, I would never be like, uh, ashamed of, uh, you know, my enthusiasm for anime or whatever. Like I, you know, and I just, I don't like, you know, I was so much of the shit that I was into was like kind of dumb. Some of it got cool over my lifetime. Yes. When I was into it, like, I just, I don't give a fuck, you know? Um, But like, uh, yeah. So I think that, I think that that's the problem is that people can't handle vulnerability and there's a vulnerability to enthusiasm. And I think that when you're just like, yeah, there's like, oh, fuck it. Yeah. Everything you know, is yeah, it's, yeah. It's like like affection, like that kind of like you know, you know how it is when like someone really loves their spouse in front of you, and they're like, oh, there's like gushing mm-hmm. about, like it's a little embarrassing for you. You're like, man, this is like it's, it's like it can be uncomfortable to yeah, see. Yeah, You're exactly. like, whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah. whoa, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, so I think that that's kind of like more people are trying to like kind of play it safe, you know, play it cool. They're trying to be like this weird, sure. like a cool, disaffected, you know, like aloofness. That doesn't, and I think they've been practicing at it so long that they don't even know how to engage with an authentic, excitable kind of part of them. And and uh, and man, if that's that's, I'm not saying that everyone needs to be excitable or enthusiastic. Like, if if, no. if that if that makes you feel safe, that you like that you're cool and aloof, and that like um, you know, you won't read a comic book out in public. That's fine. Like, I don't I don't I mean like I'm not going to judge you. Like, <laughs> uh, but I I do think that like there is. A, a vulnerability to creativity that some people are just uncomfortable with and, and i get it uh but i um even when it bites me on the ass man i'm still like yeah fucking i took a chance man i i mm-hmm. you know i i uh you know life is short man like why why be boring like why just do- you don't get you you don't get to dance with the person at the dance unless you go ask them exactly like and you have to put yourself out there. And like, I think the, the, the realm of creativity, I mean, and listen, I mean, I don't have kids, but I'm assuming that, that you, you take a risk on having a child Oh yeah. and that, and that risk is you have to open yourself up completely to this entity who has your, they have your number, your oh, yeah, whole, yeah, yeah. their whole life. Like they can cut you in pieces with whatever they say. And they will, because it's just the nature of evolution. But when you create something as a, as a artist, this is, this is you saying, what do you think? And you are, you know, at that point you were completely vulnerable and, and you said, man, so many people aren't willing to make that, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, make that bad. So much of me is in my comic that a, mm-hmm. my fans are great because, because if they like my comic, they like me, you know what I mean? And so like, we, we are, right. I always get along. I have gone to like lunch with, with, with my fans and shit. Like I have no, like, you know, just randomly, like, I'll see a fan, like, hey, man, you want to grab lunch with me? Like, sure, let's sit down. Like, you know, I'm never, like, schemed out or, like, these guys are weird. Like, no, I fuck it. Like, and honestly, man, having worked for other people and uh, seeing their fan bases, it's like, I, I mm-hmm. lucked out. I mean, my fan base has been fucking cool. I actually had um, a guy I work with talk about, like, he's dude, like, because I'm, like, way late on a project. And uh, the, the my publisher there is like, 
yo, man, like your, your fans are so fucking cool. I get zero complaints from you. <laughs> like, nobody's like at like they've all they're all totally patient with you. I'm like, that's cool. Like, like so anyway, but um also if it does get rejected, like I understand that mm-hmm. like that's me they're rejecting. You know, if like they don't like my comic, they don't like me. Totally. And I totally get yeah. that. But I think that like the real freedom I I I um I you know I got when I was very young was just like I'm not for everybody. Like some people yeah. just aren't gonna like me. And I get that. Some people <laughs> like downright hate me, but like I, I know I know the source, you know, like it's you know the, that great you know Bill Cosby quote, you know, scandal noted. Like I understand, but he does have some great quotes, and one of them is like, you know, I don't know the key to happiness, but I know the key to unhappiness. It starts when you try to please everybody. And mm-hmm. I, like I learned that at a very young age. It's just like fuck it, and there's so it's so fucking freeing when you're just okay right. that some people aren't going to like you. You're like all right, cool man. Now I can just do whatever I want. Now I can now I can <laughs> worry about my happiness because no one right. else is going to right. Like I'm I am solely in charge of that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then I just do that with all my creativity and, and, uh, yeah, man. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, at the end of the day, if I'm going to do something that makes me happy, I've, like, I am successful because I have made the thing that made me happy. Like I think yeah. that was my goal. Like, Oh, like I, 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 that's an accomplishable goal. You know, it might not make me money. It might not make me fans. It might not get me a you know Netflix deal or whatever, but the thing I wanted to see in the world is in the world now. And no one can take mm-hmm. that away from me, whether that's sold, uh, you know, fuck, I think number one has sold like eight thousand copies. So like, we you know, there's eight thousand you know people have enjoyed it. Or if a hundred people, fifty people, twenty people, like I still get to pick right. that comic up and look at it and go like, God damn, that's a that's a Lucha Libre comic that's about wrestling. That's not about cartels. That's not like where the you know, the the luchadors are hitmen or some other bullshit. Like that is the mm-hmm. the most authentic interpretation of what I thought should be in the world is sitting in front of me because I did it, and that is success. And the and it's yours. Absolutely, I get to own that, and and uh, no one can take that from me. Like the money may come and go. Like, listen, man, if if I was looking to make money, I'd, I'd have picked any other fucking job but comic books. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Yeah, there's a million. Oh, other, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like I, I always tell people, like, yeah, if you if you like money, maybe you don't get into comics. But if you like comics, get into comics. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, it, it's just uh, you know, like I, I like having kind of those like winnable goals. Like I can, I know I can make me happy, so I'm going to, you know, and and, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to start second guessing what the world wants or what i think is sellable because that that's that way lies madness i mean god forbid one of those actually work right like if i take like some money grab like oh i see that <laughs> this is all going well i'm gonna do you know and i i've i've heard those you, you've heard those conversations at cons like um i was there one year when i think it was in an elevator with two other artists got in i, I don't think i didn't know them at all but one of the other mm-hmm. artists one artist turned to the other and he goes yo man if uh if you're not doing spider gwen this year you're not making any money and the guys like, oh, that's for sure. And then they kind of like, oh, and I'm like, nah, dude, like, I don't have any fucking spider going to my table. I'm doing just fine. Like, I, right, but that's the other right. thing too. Is like, look, you know, if you, if you know, and again, I understand it is hard to make money as an artist, but you know, if you're if you're just doing fan art, you know, then now it's a guessing game. Like, who knew mm-hmm. that you had to have something Barbie at your table to like make right. money this year, right? You know what I mean? Like, so no way, uh, yeah, yeah. But it's like if you had Barbie at your table, you made a ton of money. But it's like, look. Like, but then I'm in competition with everyone else who decided to draw Barbie. If it's if it's Spider Gwen next year, if it's totally. if it's Miles this year, or or, uh, or uh, um, Spider Man 2099, right? That was kind of like one of the bigger things that happened. Mm-hmm. So um, if I decide to do a Spider Man 2099 print at my table, and I go there, um, now I'm in competition with everyone else who you know did Spider Man 2099, and it might just be a matter of like where my placement is. People might have like, well, it has, yeah, no, it yeah. stops being about you. Yeah, yeah exactly. It starts being what you can do. It starts being about 
opportunity. And then it's, it's, and it's, it's the only person Marvel, they come across. Yeah, it's only making Marvel yeah. money too, right? Like that does nothing for me, right? Like because no one yep. who buys Spider Man twenty nine million for me is there because I, it's me. I mean, my fans might actually buy, it. but anyway. <laughs> right. But if I was just you know, but right, I'm the like I'm I am a hundred percent of the Lamano Delestino business at, at a Comic Con, right? Like if you want to get a, a mm-hmm. Lamano Delestino comic, you come to me. I'm only in competition with myself. No one else is doing prints or artwork of them. So like I've cornered right. that market and no one can be more me <laughs> than me, right? So I'm just going to be me and do my thing. And that way I'm 100% of that business. And, and so, but that might not resonate with everybody and I'm totally fine with it. But my color palette alone either pulls people in or just keeps them walking. Like you look at my shit right. and if you don't see the colors I use and think like, oh, that's something that looks cool to me, you're never going to stop. I, I'm not going to be I think that- yet. I think that's what drew me to you. I think I, I walked by and I, you were, I think you were setting up yeah. and I'm like, and I'm like, Oh, co- like, okay. Color. Like I, when I see people using color in tones and hues in, in a fashion that speaks to me, I go, I have to look at this and talk to the person because you, you don't, the colors that you use, uh, Rico Renzi uses my, my mentor, Michael Golden uses like a bunch of people like who use these intense, really really vibrant colors in in unique combinations that that's not it's not common and it, yeah. i mean to me i'm like i got a guy i gotta look at this yeah. yeah local color is for suckers man like i i just have no like naturalism and coloring is such a like eh, like what is that yeah. what does that really do for you and like it's take a picture comics are a curated reality right like yes and so uh, yeah. uh you know again one of those things that i read when i was in art school that i've come back to is like you know, was it uh, John Updike said that all great art has a need to confess its artifice. Like it lets you know mm-hmm. that it's make up, made up. And so the super limited palette, like I use uh, 12 colors in my com or yeah, 12 colors in my comic, uh, three of which are only used on the hero. So he has his own color signature, right? So mm-hmm. if you see those colors, you know, it's him, you know, it's Lamano. And so I basically color the entire book with nine colors. And it's like, it sets a lot of parameters for me to have to problem solve to like make interesting decisions, but also totally, it lets the viewer know that this is like made up. This is a curated reality. Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't have to reconcile this with your sense of what could or couldn't happen because it's completely constructed. So let go of, of uh, you know, like put your hackles down and just enjoy, like give yourself up to the story. And, and uh, it's just a subtle way to kind of get them to do this, like give into the reality of the, the narrative that I'm creating. And, and so, um, and I think that when you start leaning more toward realism, now they're going to try to like talk about what could and couldn't happen. And you've got mm-hmm. the real world, you know, like kind of wearing down on you. And um, yeah, so I, I, uh, I did it, you know, mostly to kind of express uh, the beauty of my culture, right? Like those are all very mm-hmm. like, Latino colors that I put in there, but also as like a, a confession of artifice of like, look, this is, this is something that I made up. But it's also like, I always tell people comics are like a magic trick, right? Like no one thinks that a magician is like a real sorcerer. Like they all know it's a trick. <laughs> and the fact that a, that a magician goes like, I'm going to show you a trick and then does something that you can't explain makes it even right. like you know it's a trick but still it, it baffles you like makes it even more like right. engaging so my color palette is just me saying look i'm gonna i'm gonna do a magic trick and that way when they are emotionally invested in the characters with these like i'm only using nine colors and it's like this you know goofy illustrated style and stuff like it's even more impressive that i pulled it off with like such simple tools or at least not all the tools that everyone else is using that still right. somehow sucks them in so that that's that's my kind of approach to that but um yeah, man, I, I, there's plenty of people doing like local color. Like they can they can do realism all they want. Like I'm never getting a job doing it for anyone. 
because I, I go fucking No, nuts. it's it, it, and that's fine. You know what I mean? It's yeah. fine. It's all good. Either way is fine. Yeah, yeah. It's just but it one you're everything you're doing because listen, I think this is a design philosophy is that everything is in service to everything in the in the in the piece. Like oh, yes, if absolutely. it does, if it's if it's if it's not in service, get rid of it. Yep. So you are distilling this whole concept down to as small of the amount of tools that you need or or pieces mm-hmm. to tell the most that you can. And that's that's it. Well, I mean, that's a, the fun thing about comics is it, it it demands a lot from its um its readers, from from its audience, right? Like, you know, it's nothing's moving. You're just showing the before and after. And the viewer has to fill in the you know in the place. I mean, this is very understanding mm-hmm. comics kind of you know, Scott McCloud kind of stuff. But and you're abbreviating reality. Like that's one of my my things that I say when I give design talks is like I, I view my job as a creator to abbreviate reality and not reflect it. Right. So um, mm. part of what I do in this lecture is I have this very simple drawing of like a circle with two little triangles and some lines across it, and like you know like what you know what is this? And people are like, oh, it's a cat. I'm like. And then I'll, I'll switch to a photograph of a cat. I'm like, oh, no, th- this is a cat. When I go back to the, illust- the icon, I'm like, this is an illustration of a cat. This is an icon of a cat. This mm-hmm. is the idea of a cat, whereas right. the other one is a cat. So in comics, it's the idea of a person or a hero and not necessarily a person or a hero. And the beauty of iconography is that they fill in, like, that circle with the two triangles and, like, little lines sticking out of it, like, that that is the idea of a cat. So it becomes every cat they've ever known, all of their feelings about cats, how mm-hmm. you know, like every cat they've ever like petted or whatever. All of that is in that, like just the simplest of forms. That photograph of a tabby is only that tabby. It can only ever be that tabby, right? Right. So when I simplify forms and I reduce the color palette and I, it's in panels and not moving pictures, all of the work that the viewer has to do is filled with their own experience. And mm-hmm. they they're co-authoring the comic with me yep. and that version of the comic, because they're co-authoring it with so much of their personal experience is literally just for them, you know, and, and, and thus hopefully more memorable, which is something I learned from advertising. Like the more you can get them to fill in the blanks, the things you don't, the things you hint at and don't explicitly render, the more they fill in the blanks, the more personal the experience is and the more memorable, memorable it becomes. And I think that with comics, you know, this kind of post Brian Hitch comics world that we get into where every stitch and seam and lace is there to be seen could just because ironically because there's so much rigor in the creation you can just blow past it because it's just mm-hmm. like oh that's a shoe you know what i mean like it's not even interesting like you didn't have to figure <laughs> it out yeah like, right. it's yeah. just like oh yeah that looks just like the nikes i have and you know whatever like you just kind of it's like it's all like you know experiential shorthand now you just gotta like flip through it and it's unengaging you know and then people are hoping yeah. that there's like some some dynamism to the the posture or what have you but it's just I don't know, man. Like, I just think that comics um, could be better when they're trying less hard or being more reductive, mm-hmm. or more of an abbreviation. And uh, so that's what it's, a, it's that space. It's yeah. the space that we were talking about earlier. If you can create that space, that's the space for people to put themselves into it. And it allows you to put yourself into the space and for them to put themselves in the space and you can share it and, and actually have an experience together. But I also think, too, it's like um, it's trust as well, because it's like when you're considered, when you see that, like when someone picks up my book, they see that mm-hmm. I, I, I made a paper selection and I made a color palette selection and I made an art style. So like they like, oh, this guy thought about this, all of this. Right. Like, I, I know that he's I can I can just let give myself into the story and, and trust that it's even if they don't. Somewhere. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you, know, you look at like a Wes Anderson movie and it's like 
every every fucking label on the background has like been designed and looked over by him. Mm -hmm. Every bottle in the background on a shelf has been placed just right. Like nothing just happens. It was right. all set there, you know, in this tableau for you to take in, in total or granularly or not at all. But it, right. it, it just the overall sen sense you get of those things is like, oh, oh this guy cares. And mm -hmm. so it, it just invites you to care more. And I think that as a as a uh, narrator, you know, a, a storyteller of any kind, all you want is for like the audience to care for half a second because how much <laughs> of your life is spent not caring about any of the bullshit you wade through every day, right? You're so much of it. Yeah, you're bombarded with so yeah. much in, information and you spend so much of your life on autopilot that any kind of consideration just makes you go, oh, like someone thought about that? Like I should probably sure. look at that. Like it's like seeing a plaque on a wall, right? Like you just, you know, like when like someone took the time to like, you know, put this in bronze and put it on a wall. It's like, it's a, it's a fucking building, right? Like I walked by 90 buildings just to get here, but I'm going to stop and look what, about what's going on with this building because someone took the time to put a plaque on it. So there's some, mm -hmm. something has to be said here. So I don't know, that might have been a stretch of an analogy, but like, yeah, it's just like, you know, just put the fucking time in, I guess, is my overall, like, you know, that's, that's my yeah, and advice I always give to any, like, either if I'm talking to designers or comic artists or whatever, draw like you mean it. Like, that, mm -hmm. that's just it right there. Like, just fucking care, man. Like, draw yeah. like you mean it. So, no, I, I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a great way to sort of, wrap up the, the thinking process of all this so what's next with uh lamano uh working on series two now which uh is, okay. is getting getting complicated so um i uh i decided that series two i really wanted to explore um because we you know we've talked about identity and destiny in the first issue and ultimately you know lamano ends up where he ends up and um now it's like um what happens when you're not really in charge of your identity anymore? Because he, he had a lot of agency mm -hmm. in the first one. He kind of had to choose who he wanted to be, and ultimately that defined his destiny. But now I kind of like the idea, you know, I guess as my notoriety grows, I, like I said, like I, I, am, uh, I am getting more and more in a position where people know about me than know me. And that's mm. weird. Like that is just a strange position to be in. And, um, and you know, people who have ideas about you that, that you're not in control of, right? So... Um, I wanted to explore a little bit of that when it comes to like image making, especially. And part of me was just like, like if Lamanu was real, I wonder what he would think about the comic that I make about him, right? Like that kind of thing. So sure. um, I really wanted to explore that. So um, there's a lot of like, in the first series, there's a little bit of metafiction. Like you see the cartoon within the comic and you also see how kind of like it is a disconnect from the actual events that you've seen. So the, the, the cartoon within the comic at, at one time recaps the events from the previous issues but in a very disneyfied yeah. way it's like very polished kind of like oh this is like way less violent a lot more family friendly and i and i started wanting to think about like well what if there was more meta what if there was more fiction about him within this world and how would he react to that like if he starts making movies if he has a comic strip if there's a cartoon about him all of these things like will affect how people view him that may or may not be true of who he actually is and also you mm -hmm. know when he gets involved in, and again a lot like because there's a lot of there has been hollywood interest um, what happens when those guys get involved? And like the thing, because like, you know, Hollywood gets involved and they want to make a movie about Lamano and they have their ideas and they don't really jive mm -hmm. with like the ethos of like what I created, you know, like they want to make it grim and gritty. They want to get cartels involved. I'm like, did you read the fucking comic book? Do you not know that that's exactly <laughs> right. what I didn't want to do? So like, you know, but they also, you know, they, they have lots of money, you know, so they dangle that in front of you. And so I just wanted to know like what would happen to this guy now that he's famous the most famous luchador now or the you know the, the champion like what happens when those 
those people who want to control images are coming after you and what that does to you to kind of try to navigate. So a lot of the main conflict is he's making this movie through the course of the issues. And um, he, uh, you know, because everything happens like Luchador versus Luchador, the head of the studio asks him to do a favor by wrestling this guy so he can get this girl out of her contract so she can come work on his movie, yada, yada. You know, it's 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 not what he thought it was. It's like, you know, it's like a noir kind of film where like, oh, you mm-hmm. got to do this one job. And you show up and like, oh, this is not what I thought it was. And now you're going <laughs> down a totally. rabbit hole of like, you know, of, uh, you know, of, of uh, shifty motives and stuff. So it's that kind of thing, you know, him trying to like get out of these contracts with his like, you know, or maintain his kind of dignity throughout the you know, dealing with the studio and the movie they want to make. And then the people that he has to deal with, yada, yada. But in the course of that, like issue one is 80 pages, which is why I'm way late on it. But um, issue one is 80 pages. The first 20 are going to be like, real world like the world that we saw in the comic continuing mm-hmm. and page 20 or page 19 he's going to be like oh hey man i gotta i gotta go uh, i gotta go to, go to my movie premiere and he's going to go see another movie that he made that's wrapped in this film and then it's going to be 40 pages of a comic of a movie of the comic book adaptation of a movie that he made which is a spy mm-hmm. movie it's like a, a james bond kind of movie but uh, one of the things I've enjoyed about Lomano is that he's, his heroism is distinctly different than like kind of Western, you know, American heroism, like, you know, kind of Western society her- heroism. And so, um, you know, like kind of his superpowers, like, you know, they're going to throw the, the James Bond kind of honey trap where they throw like a beautiful woman at him and he's going to be totally immune to it. He's like, you know, he shows up in his room and there's this like half naked woman. He's like, I don't know you. What the hell are you doing here? Get the hell out of here. And so they, <laughs> they can't spring their trap on him the way they wanted to because he's not like he's not a piece of shit who just sleeps with women. He doesn't know, you know? So like, right, right. like they're going to, they're going to think he's like James Bond, but he's not, he's like, he's not a drinker. He's not like a womanizer. So they can't manipulate him in that way. So anyway, uh, that's a nice, like fun little spy story that I'm going to do. And then at, after that, he's like, you know, walk out of the premiere and then go back into his regular, like 20 pages of life. So then we'll do issue two, which is real world. Um, and then between two and three, we're going to do another movie special. That is going to be another comic book adaptation of a movie. And that one's going to be a sci-fi movie. That's going to be a giant monster versus giant robot, a, a giant luchador robot. Um, sure, why then, not? Yeah, because. And then, uh, and then issue three is real world. And then a movie special that's going to be a surf movie, uh, like kind of Frankie and that kind of surf movie. So like Lamato <laughs> yeah, in a mask with a surfboard, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and then issue four comes out. And then between four and five, we'll see the movie special of the movie that he's been making the entire issue or the, uh, the entire right. series. And then, so that's a jungle adventure movie, kind of very, you know, kind of almost Indiana Jones-ish. And then, um, and then issue five will con- conclude the entire series. So uh, there's a movie special within, within issue one. The rest of them are going to be regular size. And then there'll be three extra uh, movie specials. And so it just allows me to like, you know, like I can throw, you know, like I don't have to figure out a way to get aliens into Lamano's world. He can just make a sci-fi mm-hmm. movie about aliens. He can make a movie, I, right? Yeah. I don't have to worry about zombies showing. Like, how do I make a zombie thing? No, just fucking. Zo- he can make a zombie movie. So yeah. But it also like some of the stuff from like the newspaper strip that you'll see within the comic, or some of the stuff from the movies. Like people are going to kind of like, you know, uh, think that that's him. You know, like oh, well, you know, do you mm-hmm. have that gun that the CIA gave? Like that was in a movie. That wasn't me. You know, like that sort of thing. So just kind of like that, that bleeding over into um, into his reality, but also kind of like maintaining his dignity through like the Hollywood process and not being exploited in a way that like people who just see fucking dollar signs who just wanted right. whatever, like him having like hard lines that like, I don't do these sorts of things. I'm not going to sell tobacco. I'm not going to sell alcohol. Like these are things that I'm like firm about. So like, I just kind of like want him to try to maintain his goodness 
through a corrupt world, you know, like now mm -hmm. that he's kind of like gone on that, that, the quest to kind of get his position, like, what do you do with that now that you are champion, what now that you are successful? And also, you know, I saw um, a great Guillermo del Toro uh, interview talking about, um, uh, what was it, Nightmare Alley. And uh, mm -hmm. he was saying that, like, he enjoys movies where success is its own torture. And I like, I thought that was a great way to, a succinct way to, like, oh, that's kind of like, that's what I'm trying to do with life. I, I saw it after I had plotted out the, the Lamana thing, yeah, the way that yeah, no, Guillermo summed it up. I'm like, that's it right there. I want success as its own kind of torture because, you know, as, as you know how it is, man, like, we bust our ass in this business and then, like, you kind of get to this weird level and it's like, you feel bad complaining because there's like a thousand fucking kids trying to get in and trying to do stuff. And it's like all the little slights and things that you have to deal with seem petty, but it's also like, now it's your life. That's the, now those are the right. things you have to deal with. Totally. So, uh, and again, it's like him, like having to complain about like, you know, two studio heads fighting over him. It's like, Oh, poor baby. But it's also like right. very stressful and very, you know, like hard to deal with. So I'm not, I'm not trying to like, um, you know, like uh, make it seem like the rich have it you know, bad or like the successful, have it bad. but I do like success is its own torture is kind of a thing that I, that an idea I want to explore. And uh, also all this weird meta fiction and just being able to do mm -hmm. dumb shit that I don't have to, dovetail into or do any kind of gymnastics to kind of fit into my world but it's like all those great el santo movies and, and blue demon movies i saw as a kid like they were always like so wacky you know because they're dudes in masks so it's like when they're vampire yeah. hunters they're they're luchadors hunting vampires and when they're <laughs> which when they're, is great when they're secret agents they still have their mask on it's like oh, i wonder which one is el yeah. santo like i think it might be the guy in the silver mask that's who i think it might be you know so i but i i'm trying <laughs> you know but i am trying to make the make the move i'm trying to make those movies as true an homage to the things that I love, like old James Bond or in like Flint movies, uh, or mm -hmm. the, you know, having the sci-fi movie be every bit as good as like them or any of those kind of like, you right. know, uh, like great sixties and fifties, like sci-fi movies. So I just like, I love that, that, uh, the purple prose earnestness of those old movies, you know, like the way that everyone talks to each other and the, the kind of operatic tones. And so I, 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 I I really, I, just, I love living in that world. And so I'm doing that with Lamano. I'm having fun, drawing, drawing whatever the fuck I want, which is kind of fantastic. I think it's amazing. Thank you. I, 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 yeah. I mean, listen, there's nothing better when you get to the see, read, listen to <clears throat> the things that people love. Like you can tell, like, it's just, oh, this is what, <clears throat> this is what they love. Um, so you're behind. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> your own schedule. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and so where can people keep abreast of you? Where's the best place to keep eye on you when you can actually say, Hey, <laughs> so, um, so I got kicked off of Facebook, which is like, uh, so I, I didn't get hit. I got hacked. The hackers got me kicked off of Facebook. Um, okay. my website is up, but I am kind of mid revamping it. And that happened. I, I, I was midway through like consolidating and taking parts of it down when I broke my arm. And then I just haven't been able to the recovery on breaking my arm was such a bummer that it, it took so long that I just, it's so anyway, I don't send people there because it's not what I want it to be. Uh, I would right. say uh, Instagram is probably the best place okay. to follow me, which is just J Gon the letter J Gonzo art, J Gonzo art, all one word. Um, or uh, I'm Lamano comic on Twitter, which I know is a hellscape, but it is the two places. Like if you're not on Instagram, if you're on Twitter, like those are the two places to find me. Uh, I'm a pretty good Instagram yep. follow. Like I draw a bunch of like random shit and put it up there. Stuff, yeah. you know, uh, it's good stuff. Oh, thanks, man. And uh, yeah, so um, you know, Instagram is probably like I would say that's probably like the best place to follow me. But if you don't have an Instagram, go to Twitter. And I'm always like when shit comes up, like when the book is going to be out. So it, I, I it funded through a Zoop campaign. Um, you know, it's, it's happening. I'm like I, I worked on it today. I'm actually I'm, uh, when as soon as I get off the air, I'm going to finish up what I was working on for it today. 
Um, so it's it is happening. Um, I goddamn it, I'm really hoping to be done by the end of next month with that. Like I'm I'm trying fucking hard to make cool. that happen. I kind of don't want to go to to Dragon Con without it. But anyway, that's mm-hmm. neither here nor there. Uh, when it does happen, when it is done, done, I believe Zoop is going to reopen the campaign and allow anyone who missed the campaign to order at that point. And believe me, Sweet. I will shout from the rooftops like when that is happening. So if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter, uh, I'm real good about where I'm going to be and like what's happening uh, with stuff. Um, so that's happening. And then, um, I mean, in the interim, you know, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 142 is out in a couple weeks. I did a, uh, I did a retailer incentive cover for that, like actually two of them. Um, so if you can get your hand on one of those, it's a little bit of art I did. And then if, uh, and then the real news is that um, in October, uh, across four different Ninja Turtle titles, I will have a cover, a variant cover on each of those. And those are Day of the Dead versions of the Ninja Turtles. Uh, uh, IDW's announced them. They've only assigned two of them to books. So the Halloween special uh, it has one of my covers for October, or obviously for October. And then the main title number Fuck, oh, God, that's uh, 146. I'm gonna have to look this up. Anyway, the, the, whatever the whatever the main Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle title is, uh, the issue that comes out in October, one of the covers is gonna be the Day of the Dead one. So, um, yeah, just uh, I believe August previews will have all of them in there, and they'll have actual issue numbers and stuff. Those right are all, those are all cover C's or D's or whatever. So there there's no ratio. You can just if you want that cover, just tell your comic shop you want it. They can order it for you. No fuss, no muss, no no. $30 version of it like you can just fucking buy one of those it's no problem so nice yeah, it, was, it was important to me that I, I i do these as like not ratioed um you know and also mm-hmm. like i wanted the the um the trade like they they talked about doing versions of them like virgin virgin versions of them without any trade dress I'm like no i want them to like look like a fucking comic book like i want the trade dress yeah, number, yeah. all of that shit like i want their comics you know again my love for comics so um anyway that's that's the stuff i got coming out and that's where you can find me I'll see if I can get some sort of link from Jordan at Zoop. Okay. Yeah, I don't know that there is a page, because it's been so long. I don't know that there's still a page, but there might be. But anyway, it'll be there back. Might be. It's going to be back up when I actually finish the, the thing. And, and I am yeah. I am committed. Everyone, anyone who, who backed it, I am totally committed to getting this done ASAP. Um, I don't. I mean, I know people, people who follow me know that things that have happened in my life uh, that have derailed me. However, um, it is important to me that this thing happen. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and thank you all for your patience. Anyone listening who, who heard me talking about he really it. really sincere. Like I if mean, you could see it, it's so sincere. Man, like I literally, so now it's like every day I at least do something on it. Like even if it's just inking a panel, it's like, I have to like, mm-hmm. I, but I find that too, like, you know, uh, if I do just start in a corner or something, it's like, even if I plan, like I'm just gonna ink this panel and then go home for the night or whatever. I'll, I'll end up making like a whole page or something. It's like, it, it, it is going a little faster once I just start engaging with it. It's just, I gotta, I'm trying desperately to clear a couple other things off my plate so I can get to it, but, um, but it's like full, full time, but I've been chipping away at it every day for the past four weeks. So it's happening. Sorry, everybody. It's You'll happening. do it. Yeah. You'll do it. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be done. Um, well, I, I, for one, can't wait to see it. Oh, thanks, man. And, um, yeah, I, listen, I appreciate the time today. This is an absolute blast oh, chatting you. with you. Yeah, I feel bad we and, didn't talk uh, about the thing we were going to talk about, man. <laughs> I know. That's that's the this the the beautiful irony of uh, of conversations, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't know where they're going to go. So, all right, perfect. No. We, we can do that again in person. I'll tell you all about it. All right, man. Thanks, Gonzo. Right, no problem.